0: Just a little tidbit of news. Uh, I recorded this entire podcast with my fly open, so that's interesting. (laughs) I would just like to let you guys know, though, that everything is still touching cotton, so nothing was exposed.
1: (laughs) Well, at least we're not on cam anyway. (laughs) are now listening to the rf generation playcast the playcast is the place where the single banana and i Grego Stady1, discuss the monthly community playthrough game selected by us and shared by a community of gamers on rfgeneration.com and social media platforms like twitter This month we're joined by returning guest Buried on Mars of YouTube and the Retro Fandango podcast to discuss Volition's over-the-top sandbox caper, Saints Row the Third. The game may be pure mayhem, but the conversation is measured and respectful. Mostly. You can listen to the show on iTunes and Podbean or just visit rfgplaycast.com on twitter i'm at rfg playcast and rich is at the single banana most importantly be sure to log on to rfgeneration.com to discuss the games with us and have a chance to get mentioned on the show thank you as always for listening and now on with the playcast choose the sword and you will join me
2: choose the ball And you join your mother in
3: death. You don't understand my words,
4: but you must choose. Tape decks, My own phone sex. Watch out for Haiti bitches. I heard they throw hex. Yo, who whole platoon is filled with raccoons? Corner sitting wine, n- sipping apple boon. This ain't a white cartoon. Cause I be fing crazy space. The kid whole white. Like blacks rock ashy legs. Why is the sky blue? Why is water wet? Why did Judas rap the Romans while Jesus slept? Stand up, you add out of luck like two dogs stuck. Iron Man be sipping rum out of Stanley Cups. Unflammable. Noriega aiming nozzles. Stay windy in Chicago. Fine tingle, mind boggles. Kangos and rainbow colors. Promoters try to hold dough. Gimme mom before Poe Wrap you up in so and so. I ran the dark ages. The great Henry 8th built a gang The red swayed while he I judge wisely as if nothing ever surprised me. Lounging between two pillars of ivory, I'm lively. My dome piece is like building stones in Greece. My poems are deep from ancient thorns, I speak. I'm overwhelmed as my mind roams the realm. My eyes, the visions, memory is the film. Others act subtile. But they fragile above cloud. They act wild and couldn't budge a crowd No matter how loud they get though they growl and spit Clutch their fists And throw up signs like a crip And throw all types of fit I'll leave them split Like ass cheeks and rag puss
1: hey, Check, check Check, hello Check, check, check. Rolling.
2: Syphilis, syphilis Microphone check
0: All good I think it's my incredibly sexy voice That makes it line up every time You think that's it? I think so, yeah. I believe you. It's soothing. People like to go to sleep to it.
2: It's not a selling point for a podcast. (laughs) The podcast you can fall asleep to.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, at least we got the full playtime out of it, right?
0: Mm. I'm going to change all the songs to like that celestial ambient music.
1: Or you should change
2: the the show to, like, what's that uh, thing that the kids do now? Where they just tap on the microphones and whisper?
1: Oh, ASMR? Yeah. <laughs> still what don't quite that? understand that. It's just people like whispering into the microphone, and it's supposed to uh, have a, I guess, like a meditative kind of effect. It's, yeah, it's supposed to be it's relaxing. weird. Yeah. Mm,
0: wow. Well, we could start a sleep cast where like halfway into the show, we have 45 minutes where people <laughs> can take a nap, <laughs>
1: and
0: then we just continue. Some
1: people would say we do that already. Oh. oh.
0: I, I'm glad you said it. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Alright, well let's get into it, Rich. We have another guest here. Uh, two months in a row we have a Canadian on the show with us. Uh, where's the show going? We, <laughs> we are welcoming back the legendary YouTuber and co-host of the Retro Fandango podcast, Buried on Mars, also known as Kevin. Kevin, welcome back to the show.
2: Oh, thank you for that intro. I, I've never been referred to as legendary before, so I'm putting a star beside my name today.
0: Your wife doesn't even call you legendary? No. Well, okay.
2: <laughs> no, I got a lot of work to go to there if I want to reach legendary status. I don't know. It's a lot of grinding to get there. Uh,
0: oh, oh. <laughs> All right.
3: <laughs>
1: nice. Uh, well, one of the reasons I called you legendary is you're kind of on tour right now. Yes. Uh, and you... Tweeted out something that threw my mentions into a tizzy, which is a pain in the ass when I'm trying to collect uh, responses to our question of the month. So <laughs> thanks a lot for that. No problem. Uh, but explain what you're doing right now because it's it's very special.
2: Well, okay. Well, it just it just kind of all came together. It just happened. So you know, in the Cartridge Club, we have Game of the Month podcast, and on Fandango, we kind of do a Movies of the Month podcast. And then you guys do your game of the month podcast and it just so happened because, you know, I'm part of the quick save club where we do a game of the month and I'm part of retro Fandango where we do movies of the month. And then I was invited to be on the cartridge club for September. So I was going to be on three of them and then. You guys invited me on to this uh, show. So now I was I was doing four of them. And there was only one more. There was Cartridge Club Portable. And I just threw it out there to Curtis, you know, because um, I know he listens to Retro Fandango. So I just threw it out there to him uh, saying, hey, I could be on all five. This would be a remarkable thing if I did all five. I'd be the only person to guest on all five. The next thing I know, he was contacting me saying, yeah, let's do this thing. So... This is Sunday today, so starting Thursday, Thursday to tomorrow Monday, I'm I'm (laughs) be guesting on five podcasts. Wow! (laughs) And uh, talking about the games and movies of the month. Very
0: nice, man. Um, Can I get a tour shirt?
2: (laughs) Well, um, (laughs) somebody needs to
0: make those. Really,
2: they're fifty bucks now at the. Oh uh, (laughs) Oh, wow! Mm. We'll talk about that in concert cast. Actually, let me write that down. T-shirt prices.
0: oh man as i mentioned before i just woke up from a nap i just had a uh long day of starting to put up halloween decorations because it's uh it's that time of year guys Mm. do you guys decorate for halloween um does a candle in the window count turn the lights on so the kids know they can (laughs) get some candy here there you go it's good enough man pretty much all i do how about you sean any decorating yet
1: no no decorations but we get tons of trick-or-treaters where we live, so that's really awesome. It's one of my favorite nights of the year.
0: You know what the ironic thing is? Is we maybe get six trick-or-treaters the whole time, and I have all this Halloween stuff and just got a fog machine. <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> so I like do it up, but, you know, it's kind of more for my kids, so uh, and we have fun with it. But, uh, you know, every year the wife and I do this, October Film Fest, where we uh, get our friends together and watch one horror movie every week. And we're starting on uh, Wednesday of this upcoming week. And uh, just want to kind of go over our lineup. And if you've seen these films, you know, please uh, put a response out there on social media and talk to us about them. The first is The Burning. And then uh, October 9th, we're watching Grabbers. Do you guys know anything about this film? No. No. I hesitate to tell you what it's about, but it's sort of like a monster movie and it's set in Ireland. So I'll let your imagination run wild with that about what stops the monster. But uh, don't want to give it away and, you know, please don't watch any videos on that.
1: Does he die of starvation searching for potatoes?
0: (laughs) (laughs) That is not it. But. I highly suggest this film. It's sort of like a uh, comedy horror film, so, uh, you know, very uh, light on the horror. Uh, And then the 16th, we're watching Nightmare on Elm Street 3 Dream Warriors. This is called Intervention Night, and the reason we call it that is because my wife is completely terrified of these Nightmare on Elm Street films, and has been terrified ever since she was a kid, and so I basically just told her, I was like, you know what? you got to suck it up this year, Buttercup, because we're going to watch one. And so it's sort of like an intervention night where all our friends are coming over to help her through this process. Uh, October the 23rd, we're watching The Howling, a werewolf film. And then uh, on the night before Halloween, on the 30th, we're actually watching Halloween 3, Season of the Witch. Are you guys familiar with this one? No.
1: I know about it, but I still haven't seen it.
0: Yeah, it's very controversial. This is um, the third Halloween film, but it does not have Michael Myers in it. Yeah. It's a uh, film about this uh, company that creates these uh, masks. And on Halloween night, when they play the song on the TV and the kids are watching it, their heads melt. So, uh, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> it's a very interesting concept. And a lot of people hate it because, like I said, it doesn't have Michael Myers in it. It's not really a part of that series, though it is you know, in name and everything, but uh, it, it's actually a good film. It actually stands out well on its own. so,
2: you know, we enjoy it. One of the Friday the 13th movies is like that, too, right? Jason's not in
0: it? Yeah. Yeah, you're right. I'm trying to think of which one that is. It's either the fifth or the sixth film, I think. Um,
2: I can't yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I remember. Head. It's the yeah, one yeah. with the, the kid that kind of goes nuts, right? And he. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I remember.
0: Yeah, good call, though. So both of them kind of go off the rails at one point. Well, Sean, what do you think? Should we go into uh, mistakes our old friends pointed out? What do you think about this segment, Kevin? You like it? Oh, sure, yeah. <laughs> I like it when you call people
2: assholes. That's a good time.
1: Yeah, always. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, I had one correction on myself. I, I caught it before anybody else did. It's It regards Laura Bailey, who's the, uh, a voice actress who we will talk about later, because she uh-huh. was in Saints Row the Third. Uh, But when we were talking about her, Crabmaster 2000 said she played Batgirl in Justice Gods Among Us. And I kind of took that and ran with it. And I just misstated that she also played Batgirl in the Telltale games. But she didn't play Batgirl. She played Catwoman, of course. Mm -hmm. So that's a correction I had to make on myself. Uh, What do you got?
0: I tell you, man, when you give Sean that ball, he runs with it. Just wild. (laughs) It's a wildcat, man. Um, Well, one thing, um, you know, I did want to make this correction again. We did make it on the show, but uh, Sean called the switch a handheld, (laughs) which I guess it is now. I guess that's not really a correction, right? Uh, It is a handheld.
2: It's a handheld in my book.
0: (laughs) One of the others was the song, If You Leave by OMD. I had mentioned that it was in the movie 16 Candles. It is not. It's actually in the movie Pretty in Pink. So if you're looking for that, that is on that soundtrack. And then the final one was the Bloodstained Kickstarter. I had mentioned that the game Bloodstained Curse of the Moon was a stretch goal. And Crabmaster said, no, I don't think it was. They just developed it around the same time. This company contacted them. I would just like to say for the record that uh, our good friend Kelsey was wrong once again. It was a stretch goal. And so I think, what is that? What's the score now, Sean?
1: Uh, Playcast 3, Crabby 0?
0: Yeah, I think so. (laughs) Oh, wow. <laughs> Getting some yeah. shrapnel there, Krabby. <laughs> yeah, we'll just roll it into Collector Cast Zero. So uh, yeah, we'll just uh, there you go. We'll make the whole group take the uh, the blunt of oh, that. Yeah. <laughs> Shots fired. All right. Well, let's go ahead and get into our concert cast because wow, man, it is going to be quite the long one. And so, Kevin, we'll let you go first as far as concert cast news. Do you have anything? Um, well, what do you mean by news? Like just are you going to any shows okay, or yes. anything like that?
1: Yeah. Or have you been to any shows? Yes.
2: Okay, both both of those things. Okay. Um, I listened to the segment, but I guess not very closely.
0: Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you must fast forward like uh, the other 75%. Absolutely. Of absolutely
2: not. I fast forward <laughs> to get to the concert cast. No, I uh, let's see. I just had seen the tours two weeks ago. Nice. Yeah, it was very good. I don't know. Are you guys fans of the tours at all?
0: I've not listened to them much, uh, not as much as I've listened to the White Stripes. And for yeah. those who don't know, Tours is a, a Jack White project. But uh, no, I, I haven't done a lot of listening. Good stuff. Anything you recommend? Uh, everything.
2: They've only okay. they've been around for about a decade, and they've only put out three albums. All of them are worth uh, having in your collection, in my book. Um, but if you listen to their albums, they're not they're a rock and roll band, but they're not very loud. That does not come across when you listen to them live because they Blew the roof off the place. It was incredibly loud and incredibly rocking. I had never ex- like experienced that before. Like just such a jarring difference between the album and live. Like as you mentioned, it's Jack White. It's really Jack White with a bunch of his friends. They're called a the super group, but to me, the only superhuman in that group is uh, Jack White. All excellent musicians. They're all really great at their craft. Far better than I am at playing guitar or drums or anything. Amazing, really. But Jack White is, um, you know, a virtuoso. He is just that step above the others. And when he starts playing on the guitar or he starts playing on the keys or singing, you know, all this music is from him, right? He's really the main songwriter of the group. And it just all comes out. And, oh, man, it was a fantastic show. Quick show. Very fast. Um, (laughs) Jack White insists on that you lock your phones up or not bring a phone into the show. Uh, You actually have to put them in a, a bag. And they lock up the bag, and you carry the bag around with you with your phone in it for the the whole show. It kind of <laughs> sucks, but thankfully Sarah was with me, so I can just put it in her purse. You know, I do appreciate that because you're not constantly watching the concert through someone else's phone, or they're not yeah. you know, people aren't messing around with the phones or anything like that. And that might have contributed to it going fast because I wasn't checking the time. I, I couldn't check the time uh, once, but it flew right by. Even though they did a full two hours, because I looked at the clock when the show was done. But before you know it, they were into the encore stuff. They also had a really good opening act called, um, oh, damn, it was Olivia Olivia something. Anyway, she was kind of like a surf rock punk vibe. And uh, I've been listening to her a lot, too. I put her on my Spotify playlist, and uh, that was good stuff, too. So I kind of discovered a new band. That's always
0: nice, isn't it?
2: Yeah. Because, you know, a lot of times the opening act just sucks. <laughs> you know, <so laughs> yeah. I, you're just waiting for the main act to come on. But this was really good, and, uh, you know. Uh, and she's only, she's been around for a couple of years too. She looks a lot like Meg White from the White Stripes. So I don't know if how well she knows Jack White, but Jack White must have a type, if you know what I mean. But yeah, it was great. It was good stuff. Uh, and then uh, coming up, it was one of those things where I got a message. I follow Sloan, uh, which is a Canadian band, which I can't remember if we talked about them or something at some point. I think we
1: talked about it on your show. That's right. That yeah, right. was like a great that. conversation.
2: Yes. It was very memorable, as you can tell. Um, <laughs> um, anyways, yeah. Well, yeah, go back to Retro Fandango and the episode that Sean was on where we talked about Sloan. Anyways, um, I, uh, I have this app on my phone that al- alerts me when there's tickets to um, events that are not done by Ticketmaster. Um, they'll give me like the, like the other smaller venues in that. And Sloan plays all these smaller venues here in southern Ontario all the time. So I got this one alert. That said, uh, hey, Sloan is playing in about a month's time, and they're going to be playing one of your favorite albums of all time, Navy Blues, uh, in its entirety to celebrate its 20th anniversary. I thought, wow, this is great. This is a show I think I definitely want to go to. So I clicked on it, and I was able to score tickets for the second row. Wow, nice. So it's on the left side of the stage. And when we went to see Sloan last year, Sarah's favorite band member is Patrick. Um, I'm not very good with the names of the band members. Patrick is her favorite. He had some family emergency, and he couldn't attend that show. He actually missed like two weeks of shows. So she was a little disappointed. She was happy to see Sloan, but she missed her guy. But uh, where we're seated, uh, we are going to be like, well, I guess a seat away from Patrick. If he makes this one, if he doesn't have another family emergency, which hopefully he doesn't. so. Um, i'm ex- really excited to uh to see that it looks like too like it's the kind of venue that doesn't have you know like how a lot of these places they got this big security gate right at the front row so you're actually like a few feet away from the band right mm-hmm. this place doesn't look like it has that. it looks like you can get right up to the to the stage so yeah those are my two concerts for this year
0: yeah cool my only reaction to that is um you mentioned that the Tours are a super group i mean they are no damn yankees but uh, who is is? (laughs) this is true (laughs) all right sean you got anything
1: actually i got a bunch can i go last what do you got
0: i got nothing man okay
1: well i guess i'll go then (laughs) Uh, I actually have three shows to report back from that I went to, and I have four new sets of tickets to talk about. <laughs> what
4: uh, is I th-
1: going on? I think 2019 is going to end up being the year that I go to the most shows in my entire life thus far. It's, it's amazing, and it's awesome, and I kind of appreciate the concert cast segment of this podcast for the reasons of just documenting all these shows that I go to and a little bit of just recounting what went on at the show. It's a good way to record these memories, uh, besides just putting a couple pictures on Instagram or whatever, which I also do mainly for my own purposes of remembering shows that I go to. So anyway, uh, two weeks ago, I saw Shonen Knife for the third time. They were amazing. And speaking of opening bands, it was one of the most fantastic things I've ever seen. I went to this new place, it's called the Empire Control Room, uh, downtown Austin. I'd never been there before. And I thought it said doors at seven, but it was actually the show starts at seven. And somehow the show started like almost on time. It was very strange. So I got there just a little bit after seven and the show was just about to start. It was a very small crowd. And the opener was a part of this Japanese superhero band called P Lander Z that I don't know how I didn't know they existed because they're like this theatrical Power Rangers type of group that they're from Japan. They formed in New York and now they're based in Austin. Sadly, it wasn't the whole band. It was just one member named P Lander Yellow who was opening the show but he was just an insane Japanese guy just in the crowd running around handing out instruments telling jokes doing like spoken word then he he went over to the wall and like painted a picture it took him probably like 20 minutes of just shenanigans in the crowd and I'm talking like on the floor with the people who had gotten to the show on time so like Thirty people, right? And he's just like grabbing people, and people are taking pictures, and he's like yelling out, like, "Hey, okay, what's your Instagram? You know, tag me and take pictures of everybody." It was just so crazy and awesome. Finally, he ends up playing two songs, right, (laughs) dude? It was so great. So by the by the time he started playing music, I had like receded into the back of this little crowd because I was getting a little flustered by all the crowd participation, like he had grabbed me and brought me up and told me to scream something into the mic. And he had me playing instruments and shit and I was just like, wow, I was getting like sensory overload. Like I said, I had just walked into this show and all this was going on. So finally, I kind of faded back into the crowd and I hear he's starting to actually play music and drums kick in. And I was like, oh, wow, did he just give some randos, some drums? But like, I could tell right away the person knew the song that they were playing. So I peek back around, and I see the drum. I'm like, that guy looks really familiar, the drummer. And it turns out it was a drummer from the Octopus Project. So that was pretty cool. I got to see him. I've seen the Octopus Project only once so far, but their drummer drums for P. Lander Yellow for the two songs that he played. But it was just crazy awesome and bizarre. And if I ever see P-Lander Z, which is the group, or any of the P-Landers individually, I'm going to go check them out. And then Shonen Knife was just incredible as usual. Amazing, tight. The stage-like dances they do and the guitar work and their drummer is just incredible. And uh, I can't wait to see them again because they seem to come through at least once a year. The other two shows I saw very recently... Kind of go hand in hand because there were two pop singers. I saw Charlie XCX on Tuesday night. And I saw Marina, formerly known as Marina and the Diamonds, last night. And both of these shows were amazing. Charlie played at a place called Emo's, which is not usually one of my favorite places to go because it's pretty big. And a lot of times it can feel like there's just too much room. But this show is actually sold out. It was very packed. I was like in the middle of the middle. I was near the center of the stage, like in the middle of the crowd from the front to the back, let's say. And it was a crowd that skewed way younger than myself. Uh, But everybody was like really nice. And I didn't have to worry about feeling like some kind of old man. Of course, I was there by myself. So it's like, oh, creepy old man. But these kids were very nice. And I was talking to some of them and charlie just came out and she has a new album out that came out like 2 weeks before this show and i didn't have that much time to digest it and for a while i was getting scared that oh man this album just like really isn't clicking with me i'm not sure how much i like it and it's just like it's getting critical raves everybody is loving it it's the future of pop music and all this it's and i'm just like oh what is it about it i can't get with it but then Every time I listened to it, I liked it a little bit more and certain songs started to stick with me. But it was just one of these cases that seeing her live and seeing her come out on the stage and just perform all these songs with gusto and passion and just jumping around, dancing around. Her whole set was by herself. And she has tons and tons of features on her newest album and her past couple of albums. But she didn't bring anybody out. And I know that she does this from time to time, but I guess it depends on which city she's in, who's available. She didn't have anybody come out with her. She did the whole thing herself and it was just awesome. It was just such a great show, even though she played every song except for like two or three were from this new album and it kind of pushed me over the edge with the new album. I'm like, okay, I get it. I love it. Like I'm totally with it now. And then uh, last night I saw Marina at the uh, the Moody Theater, which is where you saw Judas Priest, Rich. Yep. She also has a brand new album, but I was only able to listen to it through once before going to the show. However, that one time was enough for me to say, okay, this is classic Marina. It sounds good. I didn't hear one song I didn't like. In uh, contrast to Charlie, who played just mostly the new album, Marina played a lot of her older hits, and it was actually a kind of situation where she played every single song that I like by her, which is amazing. She played Hollywood, she played Prima Donna Girl, she played I'm Not A Robot, and then she played two deep cuts that are like really special songs for me. She played this song called Bubblegum Bitch, which is a song that (laughs) I've had on my, I have this iPod shuffle that I use when I go on runs, And, of course, I've been running since I was in my, like, early 20s. And I've had Bubblegum Bitch on this iPod Shuffle, like, since it came out, which is, like, nine or ten years ago that album came out. I must have heard the song, you know, 7,000 times. And to hear it played live finally was really cool. And then the other song that was really special to me that she played was a song called Oh No. And it was funny because she said, (laughs) I don't know how many times I've seen this in a concert, but she's like, all right, I'll give you guys a choice. Do you want to hear Blue or do you want to hear Oh No? So she took a cheer ballot. She said, okay, who wants to hear Blue? Yeah. Who wants to hear Oh No? Yeah. So she's like, all right. So she played Oh No. The reason I love this song is because when I was uh, really into playing bass like last year I was playing bass all the time. I had a playlist of songs that I was playing along with and oh no was one of them. so I know that <laughs> song very intimately. And again to hear that one live was awesome. And again in contrast to Charlie XCX, she had a whole stage production with like costume changes. she had a instrumentalist playing drums and keyboard and then she had, this dance troupe dancing and doing background singing and doing like a light show thing with these handheld neon lights and it. it. was just really, really good. Great show. I'm guessing neither one of you guys is into either Marina or Charlie XCX at this point.
0: Only heard them through you. I've yeah. never, never heard of these people.
1: Okay. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> well, Kevin, I, I don't know if it, it would be, you know, in your wheelhouse. It's really pop music. It's not indie pop. It's not pop punk. It's 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 not pop rock. It's pop music. You know what I mean? So
2: I can get into some pop music. I got the uh, What's her face, California Girl.
1: Uh, oh, Katy Perry. Yeah, I got that. Yeah, one yeah, yeah.
2: That's in my shuffle somewhere. I don't okay. When it comes on, I can get into it a little bit. I'm down with it, man. <laughs>
1: well i'd recommend check out marina or check out charlie xcx Um, Bubblegum
2: bitch that sounds that sounds like something i'd uh, listen to
1: it's funny that song actually is a little bit like rock oriented you'd probably like that one i learned how to play that one on my guitar too at one point so so yeah those are the shows i went to and like i said i went on a shopping spree and every every show that comes up that I have even the mildest inkling to go see, I'm just grabbing a ticket for it now. (laughs) When a show came up, I would like bug people to go with me. Uh, Corey, you want to go see this? And I'd bug my wife. Can you go to this with me? And then finally, like after most people, like, "Ah, I I don't know who this is. I don't want to go to this. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, I was just like, screw it. If I see a show I want to go to, I'll just buy a ticket for myself. And if anybody else wants to grab a ticket, they can. And, and that's how it goes. So I've kind of opened myself up and uh, I'm going to see Danny Brown, who's a rapper that I've talked about before. He has this album that came out a couple of years ago called Atrocity Exhibition, which is just a sick, dark, twisted I was going to say fantasy, but that's Kanye, Um, (laughs) which is a really dark, dark album. And he's got some new music coming out. He actually has a song that I love. It's called Die Like a Rockstar. I I might have mentioned it on the show before, but if you look up one Danny Brown song, start with Die Like a Rockstar because he name drops all these historical (laughs) dead rock stars and actors and celebrities. He has lines in this song like... I got that Kurt Cobain type of mind frame feeling like Keith Moon shrooms in my dressing room. And uh, (laughs) it's just a great, and one of my other favorite lines in that is he says, tell mommy I'm sorry, God bless my soul, but life is so sublime going out like Brad Knoll. (laughs) (laughs) It's so good, it's so good. I also got tickets for the Get Up Kids, again, for the third time I'll be seeing them. They came out with a new album this year. It's their first new album for a long time, like 10 or 12 years since they made an album. It's not great, but it's not bad. So I'm just excited to see them again. Hope they don't play too much of this new album and play some of the old stuff. But I've been spoiled the last two times I saw them. They only played old stuff. So I'm willing to hear some of the new stuff live. Going to see La Dispute, who is a band that they're kind of like a post-hardcore, poetic, spoken word, screamo band, experimental. They have a new album. Just trying to get into it, like just now, like just got it today. Um, And it's pretty neat. But the reason I went to go see them is because Touche Amore is opening up for them. And I've talked about Touche many times before on this show. Great, great, great Screamo band, and uh, they're opening that show, so grab the ticket for that. And last, but certainly not least, this is one of my favorite bands of all time, and this is a band that I think at least one of you is going to have to help me out here on. Like, Rich, I'm sure you have heard of them. It's Slater Kinney. Yeah. Okay, so Slater Kinney, when I was growing up in the 90s, and by the way, their debut album came out in 1995... This is a band for me like if you put a gun to my head I would probably tell you they're my favorite band of all time depending on what the weather is or what the, you know what mood I'm in like they're so high up there for me it really can't be understated they're one of those bands talked about this before it's cliche but when people say this band saved my life this band got me through some really hard times like I don't know where I'd be without them like that's what Slater Kenny is for me like beyond question They took a long hiatus in around 2005. Luckily, uh, at the time, I had seen them live twice. I saw them in 2002 and 2003, I think. And then they broke up, and it looked like they were broken up for good. But then they reunited in 2015. They came out with a, a really good comeback album called No Cities to Love. And a lot of people will actually know Carrie Brownstein from Portlandia. If you don't know, she's in Slater-Kinney. She's the lead guitarist and one of the singers. Uh, She's also like a personal hero of mine. I was always just in love with her when I was a kid. She's a hero of mine uh, for her guitar playing or singing. And then she. it was just so awesome to see her do this Portlandia thing and just get super famous. And now everybody knows who she is. And it's, it's just awesome. I just read her book, too, her memoir, Uh, that's really good, but it's very, very focused on Slater-Kinney. It has nothing to do uh, with Portlandia, just like a fleeting mention at the end of the book. So if you're into Slater-Kinney, definitely read the Carrie Brownstein book. But the thing that's interesting about seeing them is that they just came out with an album called The Center Won't Hold. And this album is really perplexing because it's not good as a slater kinney album there are some really good songs on it and i think there are some really bad songs on it and the album was so i don't know if bad is a word but the album caused their drummer janet weiss to quit the band so the the (laughs) yeah so the album is produced by st vincent annie clark um Mm -hmm. And you can tell her, her influences all over the album. The problem is Slater-Kinney is known as a guitar band. They're a trio. They're a rock trio. Two guitars and drums. And the two guitarists are singing with each other. So to hear a, an album from them that's like synth pop. And to hear them go the route of so many like Tegan and Sarah and like Taylor Swift before them. Just bleeding into that like pop realm. A lot of people don't like it, and I don't know how I feel about it. But when I listen to this album, there are no songs on it that I can skip. Every song has something that like hooks me in. So I'm going to be very intrigued to see this show and to see what they're like. And also, just to catch them one last time, because I think they might want to hang it up after this tour. Because they lost Janet. She's one of the greatest drummers of all time and she ended up quitting the band over this record. I have this feeling that they're going to retire after this tour, so it'll be good to catch them one last time. Uh, I'm really excited about that. Even though the album's weird, uh, I'm looking forward to seeing them. So yeah, that's that's all I got for now, but at one point like <laughs> Earlier this week I had like nine sets of tickets on my refrigerator for, for all these shows that I'm gonna go to and or that I've been to recently. So it's just awesome. I just love live music. I just love being at a show and just just letting the music wash over me. It's it's just such a great feeling. And I'm so privileged and blessed to be living in a city where I can just drive down the street and I'm at some venue and you know, it's all there.
2: You're definitely living in the right place. That I, yeah. I would definitely go to way more shows if I was in the
1: Austin area as well. Me too. It'd
2: be dangerous if I lived out there for <laughs> sure. Yeah, I can I'm tell you that.
1: Totally um, spoiled. I
2: got, I got a question for you, Sean. When you're going to these sho- these shows in these venues, it's not like through Ticketmaster, you're not going to like big arenas and paying hundreds of dollars, right? It's probably like twenty dollars a show or something.
1: Yeah, I, I've actually talked to my friend Corey about this a few times because some really big bands that we love come through and they play stadiums and the tickets are so expensive and yep. it's both of us really want to see blink 182 their last two albums that have come out with uh, matt skiba me and Corey love both of these albums and when they come around we would really love to see them but they only play stadiums and the tickets are over a hundred dollars usually mm. i can't remember last time i bought something through Ticketmaster. a lot of them are uh, there's a company called Front Gate Tickets or Eventbrite. A lot of times, the the venues just sell their own yeah. tickets through Eventbrite. So I have an Eventbrite account, which is probably pretty makes it even more dangerous and too easy to buy tickets. or so just sign in and click. There we go. Print your ticket. So
2: yeah, that's pretty much how I do it too. Like the Black Keys are coming through here next week, I think. And I I loved Black Keys. I was on board for their first television appearance on Conan O'Brien. Uh, yeah. That's when I discovered them, and I'm like, oh man, I've been a fan of the. Band, but it, they're playing in the uh, the ACC. I can't remember Scotia Bank Center. I guess it's called now. And yeah, it's a hundred dollars a ticket, and yeah. I, I don't want to yeah. give all that money to Ticketmaster. Screw those guys. So I do the same thing too. I go to a lot of uh, smaller events, and you know the bands get a better cut of the tickets. Um, I, I also want to ask, like about, like for me, it's also a good place uh, to get stuff like T-shirts and vinyl records from the band because they sell it generally uh, at a much cheaper price than what you can pay in a store. Like your vinyl records are usually running around 20 bucks and your t-shirts as well, maybe 20, 25 bucks depending on the cut and all that stuff. So I, I really like that too. Do you guys do that at all? Like do you pick up a lot of things like that?
0: Yeah, I do. Um, with smaller shows, I went to see the B-52s recently and I can tell you that their T-shirts were not cheap. I think I ended up paying thirty-five or forty dollars for a shirt. Yeah. Um, and the vinyl wasn't cheap. But then um, when I went to see Kishibashi, who uh, Sean and I have talked about, it was a more intimate show, and uh, there's a lot of vinyl sitting out on the table, and I was able to pick up, um, uh, I think, two albums from that show at a you know really really good price. So uh, it just depends. It just depends on how well known the group is, I think, and who's pushing the merchandise. Yeah. Like when I saw Rock and Tours, they were playing at.
2: Uh I can't remember the name of the place now. It was called the Sony Center. That changed as well. But it's, about, it's a venue that's about 1,500 seats. It's its on the smaller side. It wouldn't be small for the smaller bands, but it's small for a big band like that. But yeah, their merchandise was extremely expensive. Of course, everything in Canada is like 20 to 30% more. So t-shirts were running $50, <laughs> which wow. I had never seen before. And the vinyl was like between 30 and 40 bucks which is not cheaper than Amazon. So I ended up not picking anything up, but I I love the smaller venues for that. I love just being able to go and have access to the stuff that normally wouldn't be available in stores at a reasonable price, you know? Yeah. Yeah.
1: I don't have a physical music collection, but I'm a big t-shirt person. So depending on the band and what the t-shirts look like, if the designs are good, I I definitely I have a lot of t-shirts from shows I've gone to. Actually, I don't know. I was at the the Marina show last night and she had a t-shirt that was kind of modeled after a old Madonna t-shirt with like the really big M and then. Uh, it said Marina, like going across and there was a picture of her and I was like, Oh man, I want that shirt so bad. But the line to get the shirt, like both before and after the show, like the line to the merch table was going like almost all the way out the door of this like huge, like vestibule at the venue. And it was $35, which isn't, I don't care that much about the price of that, but I like to keep it around 20, 25 at a concert.
0: That's hard to do nowadays, man. (laughs) It
1: is. Well, it depends on like. I guess she's like a bigger act. When I saw Shonen Knife, their their shirts were twenty bucks, so Mm -hmm. that that was good. I didn't get one though because I got I have one from the last time I saw them. So, um, but yeah, I love tour, especially you know the ones that have the tour dates on the back, so you can remember which you know. Hey, I was at that show, that one right there. You know, so
2: you actually. You reminded me of a funny story I forgot to tell on Fandango. So the opening act for the Tours was Olivia Jean. That was her name. And okay. uh, at the end of her set, she said, hey, I'm going to be out signing autographs. And, you know, if you buy a record or whatever, I'll, I'll sign the record for you. And I thought, hey, that's that wouldn't be too bad, you know, if I spent... Because she was the opening act. I wasn't sure how much her records were. But if they were like 30... If it was 30 bucks and you get it autographed and you'd shake her hand or whatever, that'd be kind of cool. So... And I had to go to the bathroom anyways when her set was done. So I, I went out and uh, did, did my thing. And then uh, I started looking around for where she, she might be set up. And I saw this big lineup. And I'm like, oh, man, that's got to be it there. I'm as, I better get in line right now. So I start standing in line and I'm, you know, kind of looking around and seeing like if I could spot her or, you know, if I could see where the vinyl records are I'd see the price or anything like that. And I probably stood in it for about 15 minutes and moved about three steps forward before I realized that it was actually the lineup for the concession stand <laughs> and
0: people <laughs> lined up for,
2: for drinks. And I'm like, oh, uh, yeah, I don't want to buy a beer here. I'm, I'm getting out of here. So...
0: That's great, man. Yeah, um, you know, as far as t-shirts and stuff are concerned, I mentioned the B52 show and what's strange is like the shirts were like 35 to $40 and some of the shirts were just album covers, nothing on the back, just regular like from the first and second albums because this was their 40th anniversary tour. Mm. And so people were buying these shirts and I'm like I-, I don't know, that doesn't make a lot of sense to me. It's like I could go in like a hot topic and find that shirt, you know what I mean? Yeah. But they had this one shirt that was black, and it had the skull on the back with a blue beehive hairdo that said, like, Athens, Georgia, established in 1979 or something like that. And so that's what I got. I thought it was pretty cool.
2: That does sound cool. I'm jealous of of your B-52s. They're on my bucket list. I'd love to see them.
0: I think they're going to be touring for a while, man. They still sound great and a lot of energy. You definitely need to go see them. It's a lot of fun. A bucket list. I'd mentioned on the show last time that one of my bucket list bands was Scorpions, and I really wanted to see them at some point. And unfortunately, we had a lot of sad news since our last podcast. Uh, a lot of artists have passed away, and one of those uh, artists was definitely on my bucket list. And Kevin, I know you, and I think Sean as well, are big fans of the Cars. Mm-hmm. And to uh, hear that Rick Ocasek died is. Uh, Really heartbreaking to me. It's one band I never got to see, and uh, if you were to ask me who my favorite band from the 80s was, it would be the Cars, hands down. Such a great lineup. So many great hits.
2: Well, if I could just be an asshole for just a second and correct you. Please uh, do. Rich, it's Rick Ocasek. That's how you pronounce
0: it. Ocasek. Yeah. I've heard it both ways, actually. So that's the way I heard it on XM.
2: Here in Canada, we say Rick Ocasek. Okay.
0: okay. Okay. Well...
2: So let's not go to war over that. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, but I was I was totally bummed out by that. I was not expecting that at all. I had heard some rumblings that there was something like he was in the hospital or something like that. But a yeah. lot of times, you know, that stuff comes out and it's like it turns out to be nothing or whatever. So you just kind of put it in the back of your mind. And you're like, ah, it's it's nothing. And then, yeah, sooner than later, he was gone. And I'm bummed about that. I've never seen them live. I would have loved to go see them live. Um mm-hmm. They've never put out a bad album in my books. No, uh, never. You know, I know that some of the, the the last album they did in the '80s called "Door to Door." A lot of people consider that a weaker one, but I, I mean, that's most band's best album, <laughs> right there. You know. Yeah. And uh, they they did um uh a comeback album in 2011, which was it was good. Yeah, which was fantastic too, uh, despite uh, missing um what's his face um the other guy who died. In the late, in 2099. Why am I blanking on his name?
0: Yeah, I'm blanking as well. Uh, Damn it. We're not going to have a clean sheet for this show either. uh, Okay, I'm I'm, I'm (laughs) going
2: for it. I'm I'm going right to Google. It (laughs) is Benjamin... I got the first part. Benjamin Orr. Thank you
1: very much. Benjamin Orr. Yeah. Yeah. Good job. No problem. (laughs) (laughs) No corrections.
0: Yeah, and they were... um, a bit on a comeback, too, with the younger crowd, because one of their songs, Moving in Stereo, was prominently featured in Stranger Things Season 3. Oh, really? Um, so, yeah, there's this very iconic scene that they were even using for the trailer. It's the lifeguard scene, Sean. I don't know if you've oh. seen Season 3. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, it's used prominently there. Really, really well done. It's a great song. Probably one of my favorites. Are they tying in... Past times at Richmond High. Is that happening? Uh, yeah, I think so. Okay. A little bit. No, I mean, not that specific scene. No, but there was a pool involved, oh, okay. so we can give it that. Yeah, I see. So, uh,
2: well, I mean, come on. You hear that song? All I can think of is Phoebe Cates. Sorry. Yeah, that, that's true. Sorry. I grew. Up, I was a kid in the eighties. That's how I grew up. You hear that song? You think of Phoebe
0: Cates. Is it wrong if I think of Judd Nelson instead? Yes.
2: (laughs) Actually, no, we're in the... It's uh, 2019. You're free to do whatever you want. (laughs)
0: That's right. That's right. Um, Yeah, uh, so we had a few other people pass as well. I I don't want to neglect Eddie Money's death. Great songwriter and, you know, had some really great hits as well. I wasn't the biggest fan, but, uh, you know, fun hits. Uh, Two Tickets to Paradise and... um, Let's see what else was there. Uh, That was take "Take me home home tonight. Yeah, take me home tonight. That that to me
2: was the better song in my in my book.
0: Yeah, and shaking as well. Right, Mm -hmm. good song like that one. And then uh, finally, the other artist that passed, and uh, I know Sean knows this guy, Kevin. You may be familiar with Daniel Johnston. Uh, He was uh, very um, important to me. He was a guy that. I don't really know how to describe it. Um, A lot of the the people in the indie scene, especially Thurston Moore and Kurt Cobain, had sort of befriended. There's a um, very prominent picture of Kurt Cobain wearing one of his T-shirts that uh, says, Hi, how are you, on it. It's got like this little alien with these extended eyes on it. But Daniel Johnston was a kid who had, um, I'm not sure exactly what it was, but uh, he definitely had some um, uh, mental issues and definitely struggled in that regard. But he would make albums, and he would basically have a jam box duct taped to a weight bench, and he would have a little Casio keyboard underneath it. And um, he would just come up with these albums and these songs, and um, it's just this inspirational music because it's like this guy had no real musical talent but it's someone who was making music that made him happy and i got to tell you some of the lyrics and stuff are quite good one of the cool things about daniel johnson is he was making these tapes and he would just pass them out to friends you know that he knew or people he would see on the street and he didn't have a double tape deck so he couldn't record from one tape to the next so what he would do instead is he would just redo the entire album (laughs) and then pass it out again so if you get a chance definitely check out the documentary the devil and daniel johnston it's really good it's kind of a neat look at this guy and uh you know his issues and how he fought through that and how you know he just wanted to be a musician and uh he actually broke through, and you know a lot of these guys from around the grunge era befriended him, and you know uh, let him open up for them, in some times and sometimes, uh, it, and it's just really cool. So yeah, definitely check out that documentary if you get a chance. So Sean, do you have anything to say about Daniel Johnston? Are you a fan of his music?
1: I like his music a lot, and I'm not an expert in it. A lot of it because he recorded it by himself on a you know a tape recorder. It's a lot of it's so lo-fi that it's it can be hard to listen to. But mm-hmm. if you find, like on YouTube, there's a lot of better performances. There's some live stuff from back in the day, but there's also some yeah. live stuff from more recently. I saw him play on a, the Henry Rollins TV show that used to be on back in the day, which is, I say back in the day, but it was like 10 years ago as opposed to 25, 30 years ago when he first was starting out. And the sound quality is much better. And uh, his music, it just has a really haunting quality. And I was listening to uh, one song. I forgot the title, but it's like, I think the title was something like The Story of the Artist or something. Mm-hmm. And uh, the song was so haunting that I thought, you know, this could be, you could throw this in the soundtrack of like Bioshock and it would fit in perfectly. It has that just that old timey, like moaning kind of feel that just is so sad and creepy, but in the best way, you know what I mean? Um, He was either from Austin or relocated here very early. Uh, He worked at McDonald's in Austin for years and years. And that's one of the places where he used to, he used to give away those tapes while he was working at McDonald's, which is kind of funny. Imagine being, imagine being a customer at McDonald's and you got a Daniel Johnston homemade tape, you know, I wonder the what the best things. Yeah. Ever. Are like those people, me? they didn't know what they were a part of at the time, I, I would imagine. So, yeah. You know, I love rock and roll trivia. So to have a guy and I hate to spoil this, but there's a part in the devil and Daniel Johnston where he's his father was an amateur pilot, I think. And he's in the plane mm-hmm. with his dad. <laughs> he pulls the keys out of the ignition and throws them out of the plane window and the, and the plane goes down. I can't even fathom. Like, I can't even think what that would be like, and what kind of mental state you would have to be in to do that. Because it doesn't seem like he's trying to like murder suicide, you know, his no, father. But it, but it wasn't that. Like, he just had these demons, man. Like, I I don't know how to how to describe it. You know, you just really gotta gotta get to know him and listen to his music.
0: And and I'll quote that scene. Actually, um, they interviewed his dad about that scene, and they said. Uh, what made Daniel do it? Did he think he was Captain America? And he says, Oh no, he thought he was Casper. <laughs> that's why I chuckled yeah. about it.
1: He had a lot of songs about Casper.
0: <laughs> yes. Yes. And it, it, Casper and Captain America show up in his artwork. He became a famous artist as well. Yeah. Um, and the drawings are very childlike, which is, you know, very much his mental state as well. I mean, this is not someone with depression issues or things like that. This. this is someone who's actually mentally handicapped and, I don't know, man. I I know it's odd, but it's so inspiring to me just to see someone who has all these strikes against them and, you know, just wants to be a musician and did it. It's it's, it's really cool. Definitely check out that documentary. Um, But the reason that I really wanted to focus on Daniel Johnston, we're actually going to do a best of albums feature on the show because we had Kevin on the show and Sean and I were like, Hey man, we got to do it with Kevin on the show because Kevin is really big into music like the two of us are as well. And, um, we were like, what year are we going to come up with for this? And I started thinking what happened around the year 1995? This was a really, really big year for me because in January 8th of that year, I was at home at night I had gone to the store earlier that day and picked up a sleeve of Memorex tapes, you know, the clear ones that have the yellow and pink on the outside. Oh, yeah. You guys remember those? Oh, yeah. And I had those ready because there was something coming on the radio that night that I had heard of, and I was hoping that we were gonna get it. I was listening to 1065 the N, which was sort of our alternative station that had come out, you know, when Grunge had broken. And there was this thing coming on that Eddie Vedder was hosting. And I don't know if you guys remember. It was called the Self-Pollution Radio Broadcast. Eddie Vedder was like hosting, and he had like a trailer outside of his house. And he was spinning records on it. And then, after a few records, they would do live sets inside the house. Pearl Jam played about five or six songs. And this is around, uh, I want to say, in between Vitalogy and No Code era. And so they played several songs on that. And then Soundgarden played. There was a band that maybe you guys have heard of that played called Mad Season. Oh, yeah. Which featured Lane Staley from uh, Alice in Chains and also some members of Pearl Jam. I think Stone Gossard was in that band and then one of the other guys. Like I said, during the middle of the sets, they were doing records. And one of the records I remember was Daniel Johnson's song, Walk in the Cow. And that was the first time that I'd ever heard Daniel Johnston. And it was also the first time I had ever heard The Descendants, because this was pre-Meeting My Wife. But they played the song Silly Girl, Sean, and you know songs by bands like Gas Huffer, The Fastbacks. And then there was a another band. It was a project band that they played a song from by a, a little-known guy named Dave Grohl, who was doing a side project at the time. And this was actually the first live playing of one of the songs that ended up being on the Foo Fighters' first albums. And so if you get a chance, like I said, it's six hours long, and I told Sean to give it a listen. He was like, oh, yeah, six hours, right. (laughs) But uh, it is a broadcast. It is really worth listening to. I stayed up all night with my cassettes, and I played those cassettes so much that they broke. But that's how I came up with the year 1995.
2: If I want to listen to this and not have to buy a bunch of vinyl to listen to it, is it on YouTube or anything like that? It is. It is. It's
0: on YouTube. Yep. Okay. Yeah, definitely, man. Give it a listen. But Sean, you know, before we go into talking about our best albums of 1995, we came up with our question of the month. And we said, what are your favorite memories of 1995? And you pulled those, right?
1: That's right. I have him right here, and uh, I think this was a cool idea because our questions usually re- relate to the game of the month. But of course, it's a real treat to have it relate to our concert cast slash.
0: And what were we going to do for a question of the month? We're going to say, uh, "If you could murder anyone, who would it be?" <laughs> Is that what we are going to do for a Saints Row question? I could not think of a good question. If you could for hit that. anyone
2: with a giant dildo. <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> No, this this was good because you know, pending that our audience was all alive and has memories from 1995, you know, there's no no super youngins uh, in the audience. But uh, I thought this was really a good one. So first up, I got Mighty Q Dog. He said playing Dark Forces and Warcraft 2 on my quickly aging 486 66 megahertz PC. And uh, we all had one of those in our house. I've talked about it before. Uh, The first computer we ever had in our house was one of those. And uh, Kevin still has one of those, and that's why he's right beside me. (laughs) 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 That's why he's PC master race. That's right. Next, we got Bickman Two K. Adam, he said, "I mean, that's when Earthbound came out." I must have rented it right after it came out. Didn't own it, but Chrono Trigger as well. Secret of Evermore? Although it was out the year before, I finally played Final Fantasy III on the SNES as well. That year really brought me to RPGs. Next up, we got Kelsey, Crabmaster 2000. He said, that would be the year of Batman Forever for me. Saw the movie, had the poster on my wall, owned the game, had the soundtrack, had half a dozen action figures from the movie, clothing from the movie, and anything else I can convince my parents to buy that had bat nipples on it.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Is that the one with Jim Carrey and Tommy Lee Jones?
1: I think so, yeah.
2: I think I walked out of the theater.
1: <laughs>
3: Sorry, but...
1: yeah, I think that was when I was a kid. That was like the last one I saw, and I didn't. That see That was it Val in the Val Kilmer one, or... right?
0: Yeah. Yeah.
3: yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Yeah,
0: I still think he was the best Batman. I'm gonna throw that controversy oh. out there.
2: Oh, where's, <laughs> yeah. where's my shame button?
1: Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um. Next, we got. Angry CDN Decepticon, he said, Michael Jordan came back out of retirement and went on to win three more NBA titles, to which Kevin replied, after messing around with baseball for two years, see you in 2021. (laughs) What does the see you in 2021 mean, Kev?
2: I was saying that I'm going to retire after I do all these podcasts. So he was saying, well, you can come back like Michael uh, Jordan did, and win a bunch of championships. And I said, yeah, he did it, but he played baseball for two years. So oh, it's okay. 2019 now. You add two years, you get 2021.
1: Okay. Thanks for explaining that. No I think problem. I missed a, a comment in there somewhere. No, I was lost there too. I, I'm, like, <laughs> okay. I'm like Jay Leno. I
2: got to explain all my jokes.
1: <laughs> uh, next, we have Josh Leslie at Forensic Society who just – relaunched his podcast after kind of a long break and I want to shout that out because on his show he was kind enough to give us a shout out so that was very nice thank you Josh for that Uh, he said my mom bought us a goofy movie on VHS and we watched it so much that the tape wore out within the first three months it's still in my top favorite movies of all time
0: never seen it. it's a good movie (laughs) never seen it. it's pretty good
1: (laughs) Yeah, I've never seen it either. Um,
0: I fought it as well, but uh, I have a younger brother. He's 12 years younger than me, and so uh, I had to watch it. It ain't bad.
1: Next, we got STC Pod. I love this answer. It's just an animated GIF of the NHL 95 title screen. That is something I can really relate to. Next, we have Kevin's buddy, Ram Vox Richard. He said, Without Judge Dread 1995, there wouldn't be Judge Dread 2012. And no, that is not a memory, but I want to be featured on the internet. I want it so bad. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> uh, next, we got Retro Nonsense Duke. He said, The overall sense of freedom. I was 20 years old working full-time, had no kids, so Tara and I bought whatever we wanted, went to the movies every weekend, ate out often without having to watch what we ate, and stayed up late. This was basically a non-stop freedom fest. Then, kids. I can't relate with that answer, but I can tell you I'm sure Retro Nonsense loves his children and as someone who has missed the boat on that, I don't know what to say. Like, I'm not jealous. Whatever happens, happens, and whatever's meant to happen.
0: No, I think he's saying what he's trying to say is we're all jealous of you. Yeah.
1: Well, <laughs> so. what I'm saying is, don't be.
3: <laughs>
2: don't be. Uh, I'm, I'm with you, Sean. I don't have any kids either, and all I do is see people who have kids complain about their kids. So I, I don't, I don't know what's going on there, but it's true. Yeah. I'm sure they love them, but they hate them too, so I, I don't know.
1: <laughs> Yeah, I guess I'm of two minds of it. I was adamantly against having children for the very longest time, and my wife still is, and now the ship has basically sailed. It's it's not going to happen, and uh, you kind of look at it and go, oh, wait, maybe, uh, you know, and it's too late, and now you got to live with that. And I, I actually... If I can bring up something really, really quick, Rich, you're going to appreciate this. I finally saw, I finally heard a Jason Isdall song. Isbell. Isbell. So Thank you. Corrections. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Jason Isbell. He just came up on my YouTube suggested and I said, oh, Jason Isbell, that's that guy Rich likes. I'm going to listen to the song. The song was called, and correct me on the title here, If We Were Vampires. Yes this song dude hit me so hard like what a great first (laughs) song on a personal level to hear from this guy it's just about a childless couple and how one of them is gonna die before the other one does and it's it's making the guy sad and he says one day you're gonna be gone and I'll be alone or I'm gonna be gone and you're gonna be alone oh my god this thing hit me like a sledgehammer dude
0: yeah um one of the lines in there is um maybe time running out as a gift um and he says, "I'll work hard to the end of my shift is is the line and uh yeah, I mean it's this affirming album is that the reason that love exists is because we're so limited in our time on earth if we didn't have that limitation, then we wouldn't have this you know love between each other. It's beautiful, man, he is amazing as I've mentioned on the show before, amazing lyricist and uh the next song you should check out is called Elephant. It's about one of his friends dying of cancer, and it will completely break you. It's it's an amazing song. So uh, that's the one that the guy actually played in Austin when we were in that bar. So yeah, definitely check that out. And Kevin, if you hadn't heard of this guy, man, um, do that. He actually played in North Carolina on Friday night, and uh, one of my friends didn't tell me about it. It was um, up in the uh, western part of the state at a brewery. I would have loved to have gone seeing him again.
1: Anyway. But thanks for bringing that up, Sean. I'm glad you enjoyed it. Yeah, it was so good. Uh, but let's get back on track with our memories of 1995. I'll give you my wife's first because hers was kind of funny. She, <laughs> she said, I don't remember 1995. And uh, she said, like, when she was in high school, that was around the time that she discovered alcohol and marijuana. And I was like, do you want me to say, are you okay with me saying that on the show? And she's like, yeah, I don't care. Like, I guess it's kind of funny. She said, I remember Mother Teresa died that year. And I was like, the question is favorite memory. And she goes, well, that's my only memory. (laughs) I was like, all right. (laughs) And for me, mine is just, it's really related to the music. And I have something kind of similar to the Eddie Vedder broadcast, Rich, You'll remember the the MTV show called 120 Minutes.
0: No, I don't, man. I did not have cable growing up. Oh, I didn't okay. even have a computer like you guys.
1: Kevin, I know you had much music in Canada. Was yeah. there MTV in Canada at all? No, no. Okay, so we have MTV here, and they had a show. It played on Sunday night, like in the middle of the night, like midnight or 1 a.m., And it was a two hour long show that they played alternative music videos. And I would videotape the show. And I remember having like three or four episodes, not a ton on a a videotape. And I would just watch them over and over and over again. And they were just like a treasure trove of good music. And one of the things that really like sparked me remembering that is looking at all the albums that came out in 1995 and seeing like, oh, I remember that from 120 minutes. I remember that from 120 minutes. And uh, it was just a time in my life when I was really getting into music and it was the first time I started playing music. And it was really the first time I branched out from only listening to Nirvana and the Smashing Pumpkins. It sounds weird, but when when I was like a preteen adolescent and right around the time Kurt Cobain died, I literally only listened to like 90% Nirvana and a little bit of the Smashing Pumpkins. I was, I was really trapped in a box with, with my musical taste. And around the time I started to discover 120 minutes, I discovered all these great other bands that I'll talk about a little as we get into our albums and songs of, of that year. But that's, that's my memory. Just expanding my musical horizons. Finally, uh, It was That was a good Good memory From that year Yeah it's good
0: That you bring that up Because I do want to mention That 94 is when Kurt Cobain took his life Mm -hmm. So we're entering 1995 And this is sort of the um, I would say The denouement Of uh, grunge music As it were And so um, You know That was starting To kind of phase out And then we got into the joyous era of boy bands in the late '90s. So uh, yeah, so uh, that's that's kind of where we were around that time. So it was a um, it was a very odd time musically, but uh, it was a very kind of cool time musically as well, right?
1: <laughs> yeah. Let's go to Rich. We'll let our guest go last. Rich, what was your was was your Eddie Vedder radio your memory, or do you have something different?
0: Well, yeah, I mean, that's probably my best memory of that year, other than uh, dating probably the most toxic human that I've ever met in my life. Uh, you dated Trump? I'm not...
3: <laughs> this
0: is a <the> scoop. <laughs> <of> God. <laughs> it's topical. Uh, yeah, but... Um, You know, I mean, looking back at this, it was kind of a good thing for me, or ended up being a good thing for me, because immediately after jumping out of that relationship, I met my wife. I was a senior in high school. I graduated that year, and it was also my first year in college. Yeah, that was cool. It was kind of a new chapter in my life, moving on from being a high school student and uh, going into college, which was uh, had to do a lot more adulting you know, and that's kind of where it started. So uh, yeah, it's probably my best memory of that time was probably that uh, Pearl Jam show. How about you, Kevin? Uh, yeah, 95 for me was uh, like you, that that was the year that I, my last year of high
2: school and uh, moving on into college. So all those experiences, you know, my last year of high school, my homeroom teacher was a bit of a dodo head and half the time she would mark me there even if I wasn't there, or not mark me there, if I wasn't there, so it really played into my advantage um, because I could skip a lot of school. Because if my parents got the phone call saying, "Hey, your son was supposed to be in school today, but he wasn't," then I could say, "I was there." That you know, my homeroom teacher, she's you know out to <laughs> lunch, so she she marked me as not there, but I really was there. But I wasn't, you know, or you know, and it just happened all the time, so. Uh, I could skip a lot of school. So those were fun times. I was pumping gas at a gas station and I had my uh, grandfather's, um, 1978 Buick LeSabre to uh, drive around. So I would, you know, grab my friend, my buddy Frank, and, uh, we'd go to the mall a lot and just, you know, go to music stores and record stores and, uh, just absorb a lot of the music, um, you know, try to you know, figure out, because music was really expensive, you know, $20, $25 for a CD. So we'd go to a lot of used record places and used CD places to try to find new music. Uh, we only had one radio station in my town of Sudbury. So uh, they didn't play, um, you know, a lot of heavy metal or anything like that, that we were into. So really the only way, to, if you were into metal, the only way to find new music was to actually buy it. So we just spent a lot of time doing that. And, uh, we did, uh, go, we did see one concert. Uh, it was my first like real rock concert. Cause before that, you know, my concerts were, you know, when I was a kid, you know, going to see Mr. Dress Up. I know these Canadian references will go over your heads, but the Canadians will get it. <laughs> going to see Mr. Dress Up and PokéNot Door. Uh, and then eventually we did, I did see Weird Al Yankovic. That was like the first concert that I spent money to see, but that was in 1994. In 1995, I stepped up my game and I saw Black Sabbath with Motorhead. Opening nice, wow. Uh, they came to the Subway Arena, and that was a fantastic time, fantastic show. At the time in 1995, Ozzy Osbourne was not uh, the lead singer of Black Sabbath, it was oh, I can't remember his name, some dude
1: <laughs> Gary Sharon. No, it wasn't Gary
0: Sharon. Oh. <laughs> that was Ronnie James. No, I would remember that if it was <laughs>
2: yes, I can't remember that guy's name. Uh, it doesn't matter, it's, he was forgettable. Anyways, the really the only original member of Black Sabbath that was still performing with them was Tony Iommi, so that's really we went there to, to to see, and we heard we like sort of knew Motorhead, but we were just kind of getting into them, so that was really exciting to have Lemmy come to our uh. our town, and oh yeah, for your first real rock and roll show, oh man, it was something else, and uh, it was making us nervous too because a lot of people in the crowd were ch- were chanting Ozzy when Black Sabbath <laughs> came out. <laughs> and uh and you know at the time Tony Iommi and Ozzy Osbourne were not having you know they were not friends and that but I think a lot of people in the in the crowd knew that but they just you know sarcastic uh Canadians will just you know do anything to get a rise out of people I think so uh but yeah nothing. it went over just fine they just started playing their music and yeah it was a really good uh show so those were all the memories you know then starting college and all that stuff so 1995 was a transitional year i guess you could say for me very nice man
0: to go ahead and get into our favorite albums of 1995 i don't want to say best albums because you know people can kind of give or take what the best albums are but these are our favorites of the year and so we'll leave it at that right oh yeah yeah
1: actually my criteria is kind of wacky i uh, imagine that (laughs) (laughs) so i looked at uh, and I got a shout out, one of my favorite websites, once again, it's besteveralbums.com. You can just look at albums from all over the world, any year. Uh, there's just commentary, you know, you can comment on albums, rate them, it's a great... I know a lot of people use Discogs, and Discogs is great too, but I like besteveralbums.com. And when I looked at these albums, I said, man, am I just going to rank these mainstream albums and say, oh, this one meant a lot to me, and this one, and this one, and you know, these albums that everybody knows about, and I do want to talk about those, but my criteria was more what I did with uh, I believe it was when we did 89 or 86, those were the two that we did right, was to try and find things that were new to me, and to kind of bring stuff out into the light, and say, hey I actually checked this out, I had maybe heard about this band, or even like the cover art caught my eye, and I tried it out, and it was great, so I'm hoping that I have stuff that nobody's heard about and I'm hoping not to duplicate anybody on and if we do, we all agreed to have kind of backups so we don't duplicate yeah. each other.
0: I think these are gonna be um pretty diverse lists. I think mine's fairly diverse. I know Sean's is and uh you know Kevin had mentioned that he's the big rock and roll guy. So uh yeah, I think um we're gonna hit a lot of albums on the show. It's gonna be a lot of fun. So how about starting it off for us, Kevin? Okay, um,
2: So just to clarify too, like I did my, the way I did my list was they had to be, the albums had to be from 1995, even though like at the time I was listening to a lot of stuff, older stuff as well. And so it was what I was listening to at the time in 1995, and these are albums from 1995. Um, So there's a lot of stuff that's missing. There was a lot of, like, I really at the time was not into the grunge scene at all. I was totally anti that. I don't know if it was the rebellious part of me or whatever. I Since then, you know, have opened up to stuff like the Foo Fighters and Alanis Morissette. I have those CDs in my collection, and I don't mind listening to them once in a while. But at the time, it was, you know, coming out of every college student's, like I lived in a dorm, and it was just coming through everybody's door, everybody's window. It was the same, those two albums over and over again. And I, 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 I'm sorry, they made me want to vomit <laughs> in that point of time. Um, so a lot of the stuff is kind of the more rock and metal that I was into at the time. Okay, so my number five, and really the list is pretty much what just came into my head. I really don't know if they're, you know, one, two, three, four, five. I don't know if they're in that order. It's just what came into my head.
0: Mine aren't in any certain order either. Just five that I really like. So
2: number one is like the first album that came into my head, and number five here is the fifth album that came into my head. And this album is by a band called Down, and the album's called NOLA. It's kind of a super group band. It's really uh, Pepper Keenan from Corrosion of Conformity with uh, Phil Mm -hmm. Anselmo. I can never say his name right. The guy from Pantera, the singer from Pantera. So those two dudes came together with a bunch of guys from a band called Crowbar who I've never, for whatever reason, never explored. It's kind of like a sludge metal rock band um, in the vein of Black Sabbath. Uh, so, of course, that's why I really got into it. And plus, I was really into Corrosion of Conformity at the time and Pantera. They were my, like, two of my favorite bands. Um, and yeah, it's just, I, I like it. <laughs> Very cool. Yeah, man. So, that's my number five.
1: Awesome. All right. So, Rich, I'm going to go f- with the one thing that's on my list that I think you might have on your list. So, <laughs> I'm using like a box out method. I really hope. That this doesn't make you upset if it's on your list, uh, but it's the Jizza Liquid Swords.
0: Yeah, it was on <laughs> my list. <laughs> <laughs> <gasps>
1: oh, I'm sorry. No,
0: dude, it's six. You want me cool. to swap
1: something else out? No, no 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 no, 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 no,
0: no, 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 go with it, man. That's great. Gizza. That's awesome. Right. I, I'm just happy that someone else really appreciates and loves this album. So I, yeah. I thought this wouldn't be on any list. Yeah.
1: So, I mean, I didn't get into Wu-Tang like until way later, like almost kind of recently to be quite honest with you. And, uh, you know, Enter the Wu-Tang is considered one of the all time great rap albums, especially if you're from the East coast, like I am Wu-Tang is a New York group, but the, the Jizza's solo album, Liquid Swords, it's I don't wanna say it's basically a really good Wu Tang album, but it's produced by the Rizza. It's got all the members of the Wu Tang are featured on it and it's just super solid and super tight. I think the one thing that kind of distinguishes it from a Wu Tang album is there's no like funny songs on it. There's one Mm -hmm. there's a couple skits, one like particularly long skit, but there's it's a more serious album. But it still has all the Kung Fu movie audio yeah. over it and all the references to, you know, Kung Fu movies and comic books and all this stuff you love about the Wu-Tang. And it's just like the flow is tight. The the rhymes are great. The wordplay is is great. And of course, the beats, you know, the RZA's production is just amazing. So Jizza, uh, the genius, Liquid Swords, that's the number five for me.
0: Yeah, I just want to put this out there for reference that um, the Wu-Tang Clan's 36 Chambers was released uh, two years prior, 1993, and that album was a sensation, you know. But I got to tell you, man, I prefer Liquid Swords to 36 Chambers any day, and so if you're out there and you love 36 Chambers and you've never heard Liquid Swords, you got to get that one.
1: Like 36 Chambers has that darkness to it, but it has more fun and joke songs on it. But Liquid Swords is just pure, like it it, li- it lives us to its name as a sword. It just cuts right to the, cuts to the chase, you know what I mean?
2: Yeah, yeah. So. Can I ask a question? Sure. Um, I heard the word Wu-Tang in there. Is this, so this is hip hop? <laughs> is that what this is?
1: oh my god where did we find this guy dude it. grandpa go back to what the what hell? is it I, I don't know what this is the wu-tang clan they're, they're come not on hip-hop? they're nothing to <laughs> with i'll tell okay. you that
3: <laughs>
2: they're hip hop right <laughs> yes
3: okay. Yeah. so is this a wu-tang
1: legendary new york city rap group the wu-tang clan
2: but you said okay so, so wait what's the name
1: of the album so the album is Liquid Swords. The artist is the Jizza, who is a member of the Wu-Tang Clan. Oh, okay.
0: G-Z-A, Jizza. Okay. Okay. See, these yeah. are
1: legit questions. I don't know this. <laughs> I'm stuck. In, look. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't mean to put you down. I I, I guess It my, was huge here.
0: Yeah, it was really yeah, huge in the States. My, yeah,
1: my uh, America-centric privilege is showing, because I think everybody knows about the Wu-Tang oh, Clan. Oh, no, they're Sorry I'm, I'm pretty that. sure
2: they're big here in Canada. I'm just out to lunch when it comes to hip-hop. I have no... It's, it's just not my bag, you know? I know, uh, who's those guys? Uh, uh, Cypress Hill, Insane in the Membrane. I like that one.
0: Yep.
1: Yeah. Okay. Yeah,
2: that's a good one.
0: I saw Cypress Hill in concert, and I saw Wu-Tang open up for Rage Against the Machine, which oh, was a pretty neat I'd, show as well. I would definitely go no, see Rage awesome. Against the Machine. All right. Well, let me go with my first pick. Uh, again, no particular order. And I was a little nervous about putting Sean in front of me as far as what our favorite albums were, because I thought this was going to be the one that he was going to steal. Radiohead's The Bends* is probably one of my favorite albums of all time, and it made my list uh, for top albums of 1995. The big songs on that one that got radio play were High and Dry and Fake Plastic Trees. But I got to tell you, Fake Plastic Trees, to me, is probably the worst song on that album. It's so good. It's one that I can just play through time and time again. I know that most people are bigger fans of OK Computer, but I don't think it comes close to touching the bins uh, Some favorite tracks of mine are, of course, the Bins, Street Spirit Fade Out, and Black Star. Just a fantastic album. Are you guys uh, familiar with this album?
1: This might surprise you, but I don't really like Radiohead at all. Right. All right,
0: really, you go, See, you and I, man,
1: we're together. In it. Yeah, I kind—I yeah. really like one song off this album. It's called "Just." Yes, it's that's on this to. album, right? Yeah, that I love that song. But when it comes to Radiohead in general, I'm actually not a big fan. So, yeah, uh, there you go. With all due respect, I know they're, you know, <laughs> the most musical geniuses of all time, or whatever. That's fine. I'm just not into it.
0: And see, I don't agree with that statement. Anything past Amnesiac, I'm not a big fan of. They just went way political, and I fell out of love with Radiohead, honestly. So, you know, I understand. But if you haven't listened to The Benz or OK Computer thoroughly through, I would say give them a shot because they are fantastic albums. But, yeah, a lot of their newer stuff I cannot get into at all. All right, Kevin, what's your next pick? Uh, Number four
2: is uh, an album from a band called, well, they actually have three different names Uh, for this album. They were called G slash slash Z. That's the British way to say Z. So it was G slash slash Z slash R. And we called them geezer because uh, my, like my buddy Frank and I, we called it geezer because it featured geezer Butler from black Sabbath. And uh, he, kind of did like this solo project thing uh, called Plastic Planet. And so the name Geezer was kind of confirmed with his second album that they came up with a couple of years later when when it was titled Geezer. And we thought, okay, yeah, that was just a funky spelling of the way, Geezer. And then they came up with another album like eight years after that, and they called it GZR. So I don't know what the heck the name of this band is, but (laughs) if it's Geezer, if it's GZR, whatever it is, Their first one came out in 1995. It was called Plastic Planet. It's one of the heaviest albums I have ever listened to. It features Geezer Butler and his nephew, I think, uh, a guy called Pedro House. Uh, He's a guitarist. He's really only done these three albums with uh, Geezer. He hasn't really done too much else. And uh, Burton C. Bell, who was the lead vocalist for Fear Factory. And uh, yeah, it's a, a really rockin' metal album it's a little bit guttural the vocals but not too guttural (laughs) um and just some good hooks some good riffs in there one of the better songs in there is called drive boy shooting uh which came out before you know all the shootings in schools and all that so kind of if you look back at it now it's kind of like oh man that's that's kind of a touchy subject now but uh in 1995 it wasn't so touchy because it was based on stuff that would just be imaginable to to happen uh today with brought me to it was because it has geezer butler and black sabbath and we were big into black sabbath so i gave that a lot of spins in
0: 1995
2: cool man i'm you guys never heard of this right
0: no not okay. at all okay Mm-mm.
1: i've heard of the person i didn't realize that that was a band and an album yep. but sounds interesting
0: right. yeah i mean the best part of this is having stuff to uh, put on the list to listen to later you know yeah like i got yeah. i got jizzy from
1: the wu-tang <laughs> clan i got it
0: written down here <laughs> Uh, All right, Sean.
1: Uh, So my next pick is the band is called Team Dresh, and the album is called Personal Best. This is their first album. They were a band from Olympia, Washington. Donna Dresh was the lead uh, songwriter and singer, I believe, of this band, and she ran a record label called Chainsaw Records. The album is just 10 really short lesbian love songs. And it's like the whole album itself is like 24 minutes long. It's very intense. It's very good. It's very heartfelt. Uh, the guitar work is great. And uh, it's just a really, really good, hard hitting, emotionally great album. And it's kind of cool because I listen to bands nowadays like Mannequin P- and Joyce Manor Jeez. who make these me albums God. <laughs> the, <laughs> who make albums a lot like this where the songs are very short the whole album is very short it just packs a punch real quick and then it leaves its mark and then gets out of there it doesn't overstay its welcome so going back to an album like that that has that kind of feel when that's kind of what I've been listening to a lot lately is uh that was pretty cool so Team Dresh personal best
0: awesome man all right for my second pick i picked a band that was formed out of a big breakup and actually the two that were split from this breakup both put out albums that year but i chose one of them and uh the original band was known as uncle tupelo but the two bands that were formed out of that were sunvolt and wilco which uh jeff tweedy is the lead singer of Wilco, and then Jay Farrar, the lead singer of Sunvault. Now, the album that I picked was actually Sunvault's Trace, and um, again, this is one of those albums that um, you know I wasn't really listening to in 1995, but I listened to it a lot in graduate school. And uh, it's become one of my favorite albums of all time. I've actually seen Jay Farrar in concert and Wilco as well. Wilco put out an album called AM in the same year. But um, you guys have probably heard one of the songs off of the Vault album. It was called Drown. If you don't recall it right now, I have to say give it a listen and you'll probably remember it because it was on a lot of the um, alternative stations at the time. Some other standout tracks for me were... uh, Live Free and uh, also Tear Stained Eye. I would say this is um, more of like Americana music, not really country, but what was considered alt country at the time. If you guys remember the magazine that was out around that time called Harp, it would have been one of the bands that was prominently featured in that. And uh, yeah, just a great album. It's one that I can just put on and listen to all the way through. Sean, if you enjoy Jason Isbell. These are albums that I'm sure that he was listening to at the time and uh, took a lot of inspiration from. So, uh, good stuff.
1: Cool. Kevin, number three.
0: Uh, okay. So my number three is a band that I
2: know for sure. Rich knows. Well, have you ever heard of the band called anthrax? Yes. <laughs> okay. They take no. Shit. Yes, that's right. <laughs> and Hey, and they did some like uh, hip hop stuff too. They did some stuff with, uh, the guy with the big clock.
1: Yeah, they did a version of Bring the Noise Yeah, what what you're referring to. Yeah,
2: see, I know stuff. Uh, Well, a lot of people don't know that Anthrax um, had two main singers. They had John Belladonna and then John Bush. And some people fall in the Belladonna camp and some people fall in the Bush camp. And I'm in the Bush. I like the Bush. Um, (laughs) So they had one album with John Bush previous to this one that came out in 1995. But this one in 1995... Is, I think, their best album that they did with John Bush. It's terrific. It's called Stomp 442. It is just a great rockin' album from beginning to end. I still put it on whenever I do some treadmill stuff or working out or whatever. It's just a lot of energy from beginning to end. Me and my friends, we used to argue which was the best song from this album. Like it was one of those albums where we all liked it and we all had our different favorite song uh, from it. And uh, for some reason, it didn't do too well with the reviewers, and it didn't get too much of a print run and all that stuff. So it might be a little bit harder to find uh, today, but uh, it's definitely one that I think you should seek out if you're an Anthrax fan and you haven't listened to uh, Stomp 442 uh, yet. It's good times.
0: That's funny. I've been listening to a lot of Anthrax this week. I actually bought an album, uh, Among the Living. Yes, that's a good so one. And I've been playing yeah. the crap out of that. So. Nice. Yeah. All right, Sean. Your third pick?
1: All right, so my number three is from a band called That Dog. It's their second album. It's called Totally Crushed Out. Uh, Rich, are you familiar with this band?
0: Uh, No, I'm familiar with Criss Cross and Totally Crossed Out. (laughs) (laughs) But not this band.
1: (laughs) No relation. I thought you might know That Dog because they're like... I've heard the name, but I I don't know the
0: music, yeah.
1: They're friends with Weezer and actually... An album that came out in 1995 uh, that isn't on my list, but it was kind of a big deal to me at the time, was The Rentals: The Return of the Rentals, which is Matt Sharp's like side project. He was a bass player from Weezer, and uh, in The Rentals is uh, Petra Hayden, who's a violinist in That Dog, and her identical twin sister Rachel Hayden is also in the band That Dog and plays bass. And then you have the singer Anna Warrinker. And then you have the drummer, Tony, I forget his last name, but he was actually in, if you guys remember this, there was a Nike ad for Y2K where a guy wakes up on New Year's Day and the world has kind of gone to <laughs> sh- and he wakes up and just puts on his shoes and goes for a jog. And it's it was a really famous Nike mm. commercial. Yeah I, yeah, I remember that. I remember that. Yeah. that. The guy in that commercial is the drummer from that dog. Isn't that cool? <laughs> so this is like, um, it sounds, I don't want to just say it sounds like Weezer, but it's in that vein. It's it's indie rock with, with heavy, crunchy guitars and a little bit of violin and a lot of... All three girls are singing, and there's just great, like, kind of doo-wop harmonizing going on. And uh, it's just a really sweet, good record. So, That Dog Totally Crushed Out is my number three.
0: Very good, man. All right. Well, for my number three pick, you may not have heard of this band before, but it's a lot like Kevin's pick with Geezer. This guy goes by... Like three different names, and so if you're looking for his discography, you, you got to look up music by Palace Music, Palace Brothers.
1: Nice. I listened. I'm sorry to I listened to this just by seeing it. Like I, this is one of the ones I just listened to by the cover art. I said, "Oh, that looks interesting," and I checked. That. I'm sorry <laughs> to cut you off and step all over what you're saying, but, but yeah, I, I, go on. This is yeah. great.
0: The guy goes by Bonnie Prince Billy as well, but his real name is Will Oldham. He's a very famous musician, and then he's also been in several movies, usually just as like a little bit side character. I got to see him a few years ago in Chapel Hill at a pretty intimate show, and it was amazing. But uh, this album is by Palace Music. It's called Viva Las Blues, and it is incredible. It's that kind of lo-fi, kind of droning. Again, I don't want to call it Americana music. It's probably unlike... Anything you've really ever heard, but uh, some standout tracks, Viva Ultra, The Brute Choir, uh, New Partner, and Work Hard, Play Hard. It's just a fantastic album all around, and Will Oldham is immensely talented. He's put out a ton of albums, and this is one of his best, and I highly suggest you guys check it out. It's very good.
2: All right, Kevin? Uh, Okay, my number two album, uh, as I mentioned before, I went to see Motorhead in 1995, and the album that they were plugging was uh, their latest uh, from 1995 called Sacrifice. For some reason, the later Motorhead albums don't get as much attention as the classic stuff does from the early 80s. And really, to me, this is when the band was at their finest, right up to almost, you know, maybe to a couple of years before Lemmy passed away, Uh, they were just cranking out really great albums and this was uh, the first one uh, they were they were always like a foursome and this is when the this was the last album with the, their guitarist Wersel and uh, they went down to a trio after this so this was the last foursome album but it's a it's a great rock and album it's I, I love when you know your your hard rock albums are only about 36 30 to 40 minutes you know and it's just nothing but rock all the way through there's no filler at all and that's what this uh, album is from the moment it starts off it just kicks you in the face and it just doesn't stop until the end and it's still one of my favorite motorhead albums and i wish more people would pay attention to this era of the band because they were just at their rockiness just rock and i still love it and i still listen to it i just picked it up on vinyl like last month it's that good
0: (laughs) awesome man yeah i'll have to check that one out it's not one i'm very familiar with but uh like I said, love Motorhead, and that's one of the bands I never got to see. Definitely was a bucket list band for me. I remember wanting to go to the show one year, and I couldn't find anybody to go with me. They came back around. And I said, I'm going to go see them, and Lemmy passed.
2: Uh, yeah, that sucks.
0: Yeah, it really sucks, but uh, cool, man. Great pick. All right, Sean, number four.
1: My next pick is Melt Banana. The album is called Scratch or Stitch. Anybody familiar with Melt Banana?
0: I am not. Don't I'm melt me. I'm familiar with the single Banana.
1: Uh, so Melt Banana is a Japanese noise rock band. It is unlike anything I've ever heard. It is grindcore noise. It's fast. It's it's a two-piece band. It's Yasuko and Ichiro Agata. And yasko sings she is just this chirping crazy i I don't know i played it for Corey, and he said that she sounds like a dog's squeaky toy when she sings (laughs) and there's all this noisy music going on drums playing as fast as freaking possible and her voice is just cutting over the mix the way she's just chirping her words and she sings in english which is somehow just makes it even crazier and this is a band that I had heard of and the band name and the cover art kind of caught my eye the cover art is a cartoon alligator coming out of an egg it's really weird and cute and uh, I found out the album was produced by Steve Albini and I worship Steve Albini and I will listen to anything he has produced I think he's one of the all-time greats and this album is just great. It will drive you crazy or send you running or you'll get into a groove where you're like, oh man, I love this. I love this pounding and chirping and just this craziness. I really recommend that that you guys check this out. It's it's unlike anything I've ever heard. And to think it came out in 1995, like, it's very experimental for the time. So, Melt Banana, Scratch, or Stitch.
0: Very cool. All right, well, my number four... I wasn't planning to be on this part of my list, but uh, this is where I had to kind of scatter to pick one, because I wanted to save one of my picks for very last, and, you know, for obvious reasons, which I'll talk about when I get to that. But I was between two picks here, and I decided to go, since I've done more of the kind of alt-country stuff already, which my other pick is, and I'll mention it in my honorable mentions, I decided to go with something a little more electronic, the album that I'm picking at number four is Massive Attack versus The Mad Professor. I'm a huge Massive Attack fan. I think their album, Mezzanine, which came out in 98, I believe, is one of the best trip-hop albums of all time. Sean, I don't know if you've ever heard that one before, but I know you're kind of into trip-hop, Portishead stuff as, as well as I am. But I would highly suggest checking that out. But to get back to 1995... My kind of intro into Massive Attack was this album. It's actually a remix album. Um, The album Protection came out in 94, and then this is just sort of a remix album where A Mad Professor's taken all these Massive Attack tracks and has remixed them and there's a song called radiation ruling the nation which is phenomenal it's one of the best electronic tracks i've ever heard and uh you know worth your time worth checking out and uh the whole album is extremely extremely solid so um you guys familiar with massive attack no
1: I have listened to them but not in depth like I couldn't name any of their albums or songs but mm-hmm. uh, you're intriguing me that maybe I should dig a little deeper
0: yeah Mezzany man grab that one check it out but then you know also check out uh, Massive Attack versus The Mad Professor it's really great but uh I think they're a trio. It's two guys and a girl. And uh, man, it's like one of the guys has this like really, really deep bassy voice, you know, and they kind of do this kind of rap, trip hop kind of stuff. And then the girl uh, has this very just angelic voice and it just it meshes so well together. Just fantastic stuff. So, yeah, check it out.
1: All right, Kevin, your final pick.
0: Well, the number one album that came to my
2: mind when you guys said 1995 and I was a little worried that you guys might pick this, but now I see that you'll never pick this. This is a band that I ended up listening to the most in the 90s. I became a huge fan of them. Uh, The band is called White Zombie, and the album Uh, is called Astro Creep 2000, Songs of Love, Destruction, and Other Synthetic Delusions of the Electric Head. It's a big, long title for a gigantic album in my heart. I adore this album. It came out, when it came out in 1995, I just... Uh, it was just all about White Zombie. Could not get enough of it. Um, and then Rob Zombie, you know, spun off of White Zombie. Eventually, I think he got pissed off at the the other guys from grabbing onto his coattails and taking a lot of credit for a lot of the music innovation that he was doing. Uh, so he dumped them and went on to do his own stuff. But uh, I still love the the original White Zombie the most. Just the swing that he had with those group members was the best uh, to me. It's still a fantastic album I can listen to from start to finish. I think like Black Sabbath was notorious for using a four-track w- when they would record. You know, one for the vocals, one for the guitar, one for the bass, one for drums. That was it. And then White Zombie comes around, and they <laughs> Rob Zombie would use like fifty, like fifty <laughs> tracks, because there was just so many little noise and movie clips and everything all going on at the same time. For some reason, it still sounds really crunchy. Like a lot of times that kind of music can sound like a wall of sound where there's just too much going on, but he finds where to put in all this stuff and it really works really well. And uh, yeah, it's still one of my favorite albums of all time.
0: Yeah, it's one that I put a lot of time into when I was younger. And uh, 1995, clearly remember having a like neon green white zombie poster up on my closet door.
2: Yeah, yeah. There were those in the in the uh, black light ones too. Yeah, <laughs> which <laughs>
0: fantastic. I, I could never
2: afford a black light to get one, but I uh, some of my friends had it, and uh, there were good times.
0: Yeah, if you asked me to pick my top ten like metal albums, I would put uh, Los Sexorcisto oh, up that's there. That's a good one too. It's yeah. uh, my one of my favorite albums of all time. But I do love this uh actually third album by white zombie a lot i don't know if you've ever listened uh make them die slowly uh i don't think it got like a big release but if you had not checked that one out man it's worth it
2: yeah no i i haven't i should i should check that out cool
1: sean all right here's one i guarantee is not on anybody's list but i I (laughs) well good
0: (laughs) my last pick will have the impact that i wanted it to (laughs) i've been dying here
1: Uh I implore any everybody who hears this and you guys to go check this out. The group is called Doopies. The album is called (laughs) Doopy Time. And oh, that was one of my honorable mentions. (laughs) Doopy Time. Doopy Time. (laughs) So Doopy Time is the creation of a Japanese producer called his name is Yan Tomita. And he created this album, man. And I don't know, I, I was thinking about taking notes or writing something on how to describe this album because it really defies explanation. It's kind of a musical. It has three main characters, Susie, Caroline, and Auntie Kim, and they sing songs together, they play Chopin, there's spoken word parts, there's these experimental parts, they read a medical textbook, there's a cover of Caroline No. there's three versions of Now That You've Gone. There's just all kinds of stuff on this, but it all comes together. It's one of the most beautiful things I've ever heard. It's on YouTube, it's out on the internet if you look hard enough and uh it's something to behold man it's it's a masterpiece and i really hope that everybody will at least give it a try because it's really infectious as weird as it is it's very rewarding to to dive into it so that's my top album of 1995 is the doopies doopy time
0: you know who is gonna dive into it Pocky x
1: I bet you he would love it. Thomas, (laughs) check out Doopy Time. Just look it up on YouTube and thank me later. Great call out, Rich.
0: All right. I mentioned that I saved my final pick, and I was just praying that no one picked this album. The reason I chose this one, and I was almost even reluctant to listen to it, I have been told over and over by people that this is such a great album. Oh, you got to listen to this album. You got to check this album out. And when people do that, it's typically overhyped. You know, it makes you not want to check an album out. This band also had an earlier album that I was not impressed with. I always thought they were a one-hit wonder. I hated the song No Rain. Oh. (laughs) My top five pick is Blind Melon Soup. I actually just started listening to this album a few days ago. And I got to tell you, after listening to it on YouTube... I went out immediately to my used store, picked it up for two bucks, and have been playing this album nonstop. It is fantastic. Have either of you ever listened to this album? You know, Sarah, my wife Sarah's did the
2: same thing just recently. She's really gotten gotten into the, the Blind Melon, and again, that stupid "No Rain" song kind of turned her off <sighs> of the yeah. group. And then she's dived more into it. I've never gotten into them. I I really. Don't know. She keeps saying that I should listen to him. I'm like, okay, I'll get to it eventually. And she's going to be annoyed now because uh, she did her. I, I know I'm, I'm skipping ahead here, but she did her top five list with uh, the thought of the music that she listened to in 1995. So she's going to be annoyed now that she couldn't uh, pick that. Or didn't think that she could pick
0: it. <laughs> oh no, she can have it on her list. The wives, it doesn't matter if they cross any streams. So if it's on her top five list, you can leave it there.
2: Well, it's not. It's not. No, because she did like what she was listening to in 1995 from 1995. Like I, awesome. Did. Yeah. All right.
0: But just to kind of get back to this album, I actually took it and I put it on for my wife yesterday. We were riding around, and I said, "I want you to listen to this." I said, "And tell me if you know who this is." And she listened to it. She's like, I don't know who this is. She's like, but I love this. This is so great. My wife's a big Led Zeppelin fan. And uh, as odd as it sounds, Shannon Hoon sounds a lot like Robert Plant on this album in several instances. It's kind of a mixture between Robert Plant and Perry Farrell. He's got an amazing voice, and it's something that I never picked up on. This album is really, really rocking in a lot of places. And what I would suggest, uh, Kevin, just have your wife just you know, in the next few months or so, just kind of slip this on the turntable or, you know, on the CD and just play it and not tell you who it is. You know, just listen to it. And I guarantee you're going to be like, who is this? This is really good. But uh, after about two songs, my wife said, is this the guy from Blind Melon? And I was like, yeah, this is Shannon Hoon. This is Blind Melon. She's like, oh my God. She's like, this is great. It's fantastic, and I can't believe after all these years and you know several people who I trusted telling me about albums that um, you know I skipped out on this album. It's really, really very good, and I, I say anyone should check it out. Uh, some of my favorite tracks from it are uh, 2x4, Dump Truck, and a song called The Duke, but really the whole thing is very good there's a kind of a strange intro that only lasts for about a minute and don't give up on it when you hear this intro because it's it's not the best i don't really understand why they put it there but the rest of the album is incredible so uh yeah that's my number five pick Sean and I talked about this idea. I sent a message to Sean. I was like, hey, how about we all get our wives to weigh in on this? Because Sean always asks his wife the question of the month. I do sometimes. And I know Kevin, you and your wife, do pickup videos with music. And I got to say, man, she's got better taste than you. So, uh, yeah. You know, yeah sure. she, <laughs> <laughs> Whatever, she and I have very similar tastes. We like you our uh, our 80s stuff. Especially you know? the 80s. Yeah, the new waves. Yeah. Stuff.
2: Hey, I listen to this stuff, too. I just don't buy it. That's all. I gotcha.
0: But uh yeah, let's uh let's go ahead and go into wife picks and uh Kevin I'm gonna let you start out. We'll just keep it in the same order. Okay. Um
2: so my wife picked uh four Canadian albums that you probably never heard of and one American album. Um okay, so her number five was the Tea Party, Edges of Twilight. Have you guys heard of the Tea Party? I have not. Okay. Uh Natalie, is it Merchant or Merchant?
0: merchant merchant Merchant. okay so
2: it's the american way uh natalie merchant tiger lily yep tiger lily uh number three was the odds good weird feeling i do like that album as well too you guys probably never heard of the odds have not okay you're missing out uh amanda Marshall, self-titled probably never heard of her nope nope (laughs) these are all canadian the number one the number one canadian act that she picked was john bottomley blackberry all right, there you go.
0: Awesome list. There's gonna be a lot to choose from. I have actually gotten into some uh, Canadian music recently, and uh, uh, Kevin, I know you'll know this band, but I've been listening to a lot of Annihilator. Okay, yes, and really loving it.
2: Hey, if you're into Canadian music, especially the stuff from the
0: '80s, well, let's not go that far.
2: They are <laughs> throwing the stuff. They're throwing the stuff away in the record stores. You go to the record stores, you can pick them up for fifty cents a dollar. So it's good times. Awesome.
0: All right, Sean, how about your wife's picks?
1: Cool. So hers were Garbage, the self titled album. Mm -hmm. Marilyn Manson, Smells Like Children. Yes. Tupac, Me Against the World. No Doubt, Tragic Kingdom. And with the caveat, she said, I find this album very annoying today, but at the time, it was like the greatest thing in the world. <laughs> um, and then her top pick was Jewel, Pieces of You, and I'll just throw in her favorite song of the that year was Foolish Games by Jewel. Cool. So that's Mrs. Grey Ghost. Awesome.
0: All right. Well, I'll get into my wife's picks. Um, Radiohead the Bands, great pick, dear. Sean, you'll like this. She picked Fugazi, Red Machine.
1: Uh, Red Medicine.
0: Red, uh, Red Medicine, sorry. Have you ever yeah. done this Red Machine? <laughs> I'm going to blame that on her because I copied it straight from her. Chibo Motto's self titled album, which I argue is more like an EP because there's only four songs there on there, but it does include yeah. Birthday Cake and Know Your Chicken, which yep. are great songs. <laughs> uh, she has Alanis Morissette's Jagged Little Pill. Nice. And Mad Seasons Above, which I mentioned before was a Lane Staley project. She was between that and the um, Alice in Chains self-titled album, or the one that most people refer to as Tripod. But uh, she went with Mad Season. All right. uh, Do we want to get into our honorable mentions? Kevin, give us a few.
2: Uh, Okay. Um, I just want to say, if you guys picked 1994, my list would have been so much more diverse. Eric Clapton put out a blues album that was fantastic. You had Tom Petty's Wildflowers. You had Crozion of Conformity, Deliverance. Johnny Cash put out one of those uh, American uh, albums out. The Offspring put out Smash. So I had punk and everything in there. And every time I went to look up one of these albums and, you know, it's like, oh, it was 1994 instead of 1995. <laughs> oh, it was... Ni- oh. So, uh, and 95 was just like, a, I don't know, it was kind of a down year for me. Uh, like a lot of my classic artists put out albums, but they, that wasn't the best. Uh, like Ozzy Osbourne had Osmosis, which was okay. It was it was probably one of the better ones on here. ACDC dc had Ballbreaker, which wasn't one of their better albums. Van Halen Balance was a very unbalanced album. Uh, <laughs> Neil Young did this thing with Pearl Jam called Mirrorball, which I I, I just I'm not a fan of it. I it's like not the, great. Co- no. I like one song on it. The rest of it's not good. Um, one interesting thing from '95 was this. Um, so at the time when Jimmy after Jimi Hendrix passed away in the 60s, a lot of record companies just picked up like a lot of obscure recordings he did and started releasing them uh, as sort of like half bootlegs, half official releases, because they were in this real gray area of uh, who got the royalties and all that stuff. And right at the end of that era, they really started clamping down on it before the CDs uh, started taking over the market. And so a lot of this music was kind of just only on vinyl only. And then MCA kind of took over a lot of it and was able to put out this one album called Voodoo Soup. It was Jimi Hendrix Voodoo Soup, and it had a lot of obscure rarities and all that. It's out of print now. I don't recommend you getting it now because the family has taken over the whole thing and they put out better collections than this one. But at the time, it was like the first time any of these weird songs had come out on CD. So it was the only only way you could hear them. So that was just a kind of a cool album that came out at, around that time. And... Um, It's out of print now. So if you find it now, you know, pick it up. It might be a collector's item uh, someday. But uh, pretty much those are my (laughs) half-hearted
0: recommendations. All right. Thanks a lot. How about you, Sean?
1: Awesome. I have a super long list of oh, uh, honorable mentions. <laughs> so like I said, when I was making my list, I like pushed aside all the mainstream stuff. But that doesn't mean these albums aren't very important to me. And as, as a matter of fact, like my actual favorite albums are things like Melancholy and the Infinite Sadness, Oasis, What's the Story, Morning Glory, uh, Fugazi, Red Medicine, which is a masterpiece and it's their best album by far um sonic youth washing machine uh there's a band called self their first album subliminal plastic motives came out the return of the rentals i already talked about the foo fighters first album blur the great escape rancid and out come the wolves which that's was- a
0: fantastic album
1: that was Corey's pick. I actually put this on my Instagram, and I got a few bites. Uh, Corey said Rancid, Outcome the Wolves, and my friend and co-worker Clint also voted for that White Zombie album that uh, Kevin was talking about. So nice. that's a shout-out to those guys. Uh, Green Day Insomniac, which is actually the only Green Day album that I really like. Presidents of the United States of America self-titled. Silver Chair Frog Stomp. Hum, You'd Prefer an Astronaut. Uh, Like I mentioned, Slater Kinney's uh, debut album came out that year. Nine Inch Nails put out a remix album called Further Down the Spiral, which is actually really good. Matthew Sweet had an album called 100% Fun. I wouldn't recommend it as like, oh, it's this great album, but I have a lot of nostalgia for it. Um, Seaweed had an album called Spanaway. Sunny Day Real Estate put out their second album. It's called LP2, also known as The Pink Album. And Bjork's album, Post, came out in 1995.
0: All right. Well, some of my honorable mentions. uh, I mentioned that I was kind of going back and forth with my number four pick since Sean stole my uh, Jizza Liquid Swords pick. And uh, my first honorable mention goes to uh, Red House Painters. It's a Mark Kozilek project. The name of the album is Motion Beach. You've probably heard of Mark Kozilek's project that was after Red House Painters called Sun Kill Moon. Very good, just kind of... um, Lo-fi. I think they call it like softcore or something like that. So um that's a really good album. Elliot Smith's self-titled album, which was one of my favorite songs for that year, which is Needle in the Hay, which was used oh, man. in um uh to perfection Royal in Royal Tannenbaums during the suicide attempt scene. Um Opeth put out their first album, Orchid, in nineteen ninety-five. However, it wasn't released in the U.S. until June of 1997, but I did want to mention that it came out that year. It's a really, really good album, and I love some Opeth. Allison Chains, we mentioned, self-titled, Mad Season Above, Wilco's AM that I mentioned, Archers of Loaf, VV, is an incredible album, Uh, Harvest in Slumps, probably one of my favorite songs. A band that I missed out and seen because they canceled Bone Thugs put out 1999 eternal which was a dedicated album to easy but it had the songs first of the month and crossroads on it which were two big hits and that's it that's all i've got all right how about favorite songs of the year
1: yeah kevin you got one song
0: uh, well
2: uh, uh more human than human that would be my song of the year awesome Wait,
1: cool. zombie yeah so i made a note on my notes Favorite song of the year besides Wonderwall, because that's probably one of the greatest songs ever written. So I'm just going to put that to the side. Um, (laughs) So I mentioned No Doubt, Tragic Kingdom came out that year, and my wife's commentary on it, which was that it's annoying now, but it was really good at the time. I actually have never liked No Doubt. I always thought they were annoying. Remember they came onto the scene with the song Just a Girl, and I thought that song was just a... A gimmicky novelty of a song and it's just made me not like the band forever but the song Sunday Morning by No Doubt is one of my favorite songs of all time it is just a super tight ska punk song with a great melody great vocal overdubs amazing drumming it's just wound so tight. It's fast. It's it's a great, great song. You guys know this song, Sunday oh, yeah. Morning? Yeah. 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 Yep. I love this song. So good.
2: Actually, those that was one of the you know albums that were played all the time. And at the time, I didn't appreciate it. But it's in my collection now. I And I don't mind it. I like it.
1: Yeah. I'm starting to get a shine to the band in general. Uh, still not. They're never going to be my favorite band. But I have a little bit more respect for what they were doing back then. But yeah, I just love that song. What about you, Rich?
0: I'm not a big fan of the music. I did get a lot of radio play back in the day. I like Gwen Stefani. I, I think she's uh, very eclectic. I like you know how she carries herself and you know I think as a father of a daughter just to see somebody who kind of just wears what she wants to wear and does what she wants to do, it's kind of empowering and uh, you know I can appreciate her on that level. plus uh, if you've never seen the video underneath it all, man, she's smoking. so yeah. I'll leave that there. but uh, I also wanted to mention um, if you're a big fan of Wonderwall Sean, I don't know if you've uh, ever listened to any Ryan Adams, he actually covers that and it is fantastic and he actually did an entire album of Taylor Swift covers fairly recently that uh, I hate to say it because I do not like Taylor Swift at all but man, his renditions of all her songs are just fantastic so yeah, something you might want to check out Cool. Uh, but my favorite song from the year is um, by a guy who now goes as Bill Callahan, but uh, he used to go by under the moniker uh, Smog, and uh, it was a song off the album Wild Love, and it's called Bathosphere. but uh, it's just about a guy um, who wants to live in a bathosphere if you know what that is
1: i played bioshock (laughs) (laughs) that's
0: right uh we do run a uh video game show here i almost (laughs) forgot about that
1: yeah we'll get to a video
0: game eventually right (laughs) (laughs) all right so let's go ahead and roll into pickups kevin would you like to go first give us a few Uh... pickups you've had in the last few weeks
2: I haven't really picked up that much. Uh, The Berry Game Exchange was a couple of weekends ago, or was it last weekend? I don't know. Time has been moving so fast. And I've been actually looking to get rid of stuff more than picking up stuff. I did have my eye out for a couple of racing games because I have been reviewing some racing games on my channel. Um, I did uh, Flat Out 2 Mm -hmm. and a game called Gravel. It's just what I'm into right now is just racing games. I've been playing Dirt 4 uh, right now. So anyways, at the like Berry Game Exchange, I, I was just kind of eyeing some test drive games for the PlayStation 1. And I was just like looking at them and flipping through them. Like, I don't know if I kind of have these or these are out on PC or whatever. And I, I picked up like a bunch, like maybe about seven of them. It was like test drive five through six plus test drive off-road and all that. It was just a chunk of them. And the guy looked at me. He's like, hey, you want those games? And I'm like, well, I don't know. I'm kind of looking at him. He's like, uh, just take them all for five bucks. <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> all right okay i guess i can't say no to that so i just i'm not even going to check to make sure the discs are in there if they're not roached or whatever i'll just here's here's five bucks even if two of them are are fine then you know i
0: got two of them so that's really the only thing i picked up hey good enough man yeah concert cast was so long we could could, (laughs) i'm kind of appreciative (laughs) all right sean how about you pickups
1: yeah, it's funny. This time I have pickups and games that I played, so I'll try to I'll try to run through them really quick. Well, playing Saints Row the third, I'm into Saints Row again, so I actually picked up the Saints Row four and got Out of Hell reissue for I can't remember. I think I got it on an Xbox One, just real cheap used copy off eBay, and then I bought Saints Row two for the Xbox three hundred and sixty, which is backwards compatible on the one. I bought Horizon Zero Dawn, the complete edition for PlayStation 4 because I saw that it was $12.99 on Amazon. That's a game I really want to check out. Yeah, me too. Yeah, it's just highly recommended by everybody, so I wanted to grab it at that price. I got a Nintendo Switch Pro controller which is very comfortable, great controller, but I still think I prefer the Wii U Pro Controller. Man, Nintendo has really knocked it out of the park these last two generations with these Pro Controllers. Just real top-notch product. And then lastly, I got to shout out our good buddy Russ Lyman because he did a video on cheap Nintendo Switch eShop games. And some of these games cost literally like 13 cents. And he did a video showcasing some of them. And I didn't realize at the time, but the sales change every week. I believe it's every Sunday. Uh, You got new games on sale and they go to, like I said, 10 cents, 50 cents, 99 cents. And Some of them you get what you pay for. Some of those 99 cent games are $1.99 mobile games that are marked down half price. So you're getting what you pay for. But if you got somebody like Russ on your side, you you can let him play these games and see which ones are worthwhile and which ones are crappy. So I threw 20 bucks on my account. I spent like eight bucks and I got like 13 games. <laughs> I still have a bunch of money on my account. So I got a bunch of digital games on my Switch. So that was pretty cool. So those are my pickups. I actually picked up some stuff. Pretty happy about it. What about you, Rich?
0: Very cool. Well, um, for the sake of time, I picked up a few Game Boy games and PlayStation games that I won't mention, but just, you know, some cheap ones that I found out in the wild. One of my. Favorite pickups, I got the Axiom Verge LP, which I'm really happy to have that soundtrack on vinyl.
2: That's nice. Yeah, Yeah,
0: I got it for a steal of a price and was really happy to pick that up. They're not going to make these anymore. Thomas Happ has put the kibosh on making Mm. any more of these, so there was only that one run. On Twitter, I had sent out a message that I was looking for... Atari 2600 controllers, because I'm working on this art project right now that's been in the process for maybe three years, but I'm just finally getting really serious about completing it. I need 47 um, 2600 controllers for this, and a guy on Twitter sent me 13, which I am really happy for. Um, I can't remember his name right now, and I apologize, I should have looked it up, but I would definitely give him a shout-out on the next show. I got a copy of Mega Mania, complete in box in the mail from our good friend Duke from Retro Nonsense. It is minty and super crisp. He picked up a huge Atari lot at an estate sale and he sent me this copy for free just because I asked him, hey, uh, if you're interested in getting rid of that, I'd like to have it. He doesn't collect complete in box. I don't either, but I do collect original Atari and Activision games because I just love the boxes. They're so nostalgic and colorful, and I just love to see them on my shelf. And so he sent that to me for free. In return, I picked up two 2,600 games for him, and they are on the way to him right now as a thank you for that. And it's just something he and I do all the time, and that's what's really cool about this community is just doing things for each other that are nice and uh, you know, not worrying so much about the money that you know that's involved in it. It's, it's cool. He and I have a great relationship. The other day I picked up a copy of Woopo uh for the ps4 wupo special edition this is just like kind of a quirky like rpg really weird art twin stick shooter sean i highly recommend that you look up a video of this it's pretty cool okay and my local retro store had something that i had never seen before and it was these uh worlds of power books are you guys familiar with these
1: Oh yeah, when you posted the picture, I was like, yeah, I've read all of those when I was a kid. That's awesome.
0: I had no idea that these existed, and they are Nintendo books. They're like stories from games. Mm -hmm. Um, I picked up a copy of Wizards and Warriors, Blaster Master, Before Shadowgate, and Bionic Commando. There are just these kind of fan fiction-y stories about all these games. There's, I think, a total of ten of them. There were eight that were in the series, and then they did two more. There's also Castlevania 2, Ninja Gaiden, Infiltrator. <laughs> they did one for Mega Man 2. And then they also did Bases Loaded Season 2 as a kind of junior <laughs> edition book. And uh, I'm so pumped about it. I can't wait to read these and report back on them. And then also, I'm going for this complete set. Obviously, I have to have it in my collection. In two of my big pickups recently, I got a copy of Metal Warriors for the Super Nintendo. Robotech type game It's one of the pricier ones for the Super Nintendo I picked it up in a Facebook group And another game I picked up in the Facebook group Is a really awesome shooter That was on the PS1 And then also I believe was on the Saturn And it's called In the Hunt Which is a submarine shooter And I picked up the uh, rigid long box edition Of that And so that was my final pickup But one thing I do want to mention about my pickups My collection hit 4,000 this month. So I have 4,000 yeah. items in my collection.
1: Wow. Congratulations.
0: <laughs> <mark>. <laughs> yeah, I know you guys are like, ah, I'm getting rid of everything. And I'm like, yeah, I'm not <laughs> slowing down. This is fun. So, uh, yeah, I'm really, I'm really happy with it. I, I love my collection. I love having people over and playing games. And, um, I've been talking about it for so long. Travis from Polykill stopped by my place a few weeks ago to pick up some uh, systems that my neighbor was selling a Jaguar in 2 And um, he came by and I got to share my collection with him. His wife and their baby were in the car. So it was a very short visit, but I could tell, you know, at some point in the future that he and Jake may come up here and uh, hang out because they're probably just a little bit over an hour away from me.
2: Terrible influence, those two. Yeah. I would go in there and tell you get rid of everything. Yeah,
0: well... That's why you're not invited. <laughs> Since I cleaned my room up before Travis came, I've been talking about it for years, but I'm definitely planning on doing a um, game room video sometime soon. So that should be fun. All
1: right, let's roll into what are you playing? And we'll start once again with our guest, Kevin. Besides Saints Row the third, what have you been playing?
2: Like I mentioned before, I was work, I've was i been working my way through Dirt 4 to get a review up for that, and uh, Sarah and I started playing Stardew Valley uh, Co-op. It's a game that I was playing uh, on my own for a while, and I was trying to encourage her for a long time to play it, and she kind of was hesitant because, you know, if you look at that game, it looks a lot like Farmville, and she had a really bad experience with Farmville, when she got into Farmville, it was like all innocent fun, and then it becomes a chore because everybody, you know, nags you to share things in that. Have you guys ever played that stupid Farmville game? Uh, I know about it. It was a phone game, right?
1: Yeah, Facebook? It, was, it was on Facebook. Yeah. Oh, okay. it was a Facebook yeah, yeah. game.
2: So what happened is, like, you have crops and that, and then they started integrating, like, other people's farms so you can go and visit other people's farms and you can, like, dust their crops or whatever in this magic <laughs> dust and it would make their crops grow faster. So she got into it, and then, like, her friends started pressuring her to, like, hey, you got to get on Farmville more and all that. And, you know, of course, she was just... I would, she, so the game kind of looks like Farmville in a way uh, when it really has nothing to do, like, with Farmville. It's more of a Animal Crossing type of game where you are a farmer and you do have a farm, but you leave the farm and you go do other things. And it's actually when you play it in co-op, you kind of share the farm space, but I have my cabin and she has her cabin and you can kind of go do your own thing. You can kind of do things on separate you know, ways like she'll say, okay, I'm going to go to the store and buy seeds. And then I'll like do the hoeing while she, uh, well, you know, hold the, the soil, not the the hoeing, if you know. Um, but uh, <laughs> she'll go and buy some seeds and then come back with the seeds. And I'll have the, the place all, you know, the farm all ready to go to re- receive the seeds and all that stuff. So you kind of can share the, the chores in the game. And it's it's a really fun, uh, relaxing game. Eventually you can get into like a cave and explore the cave and, and mine things. And there's slimes down in there it sounds a lot like minecraft uh i haven't explored it too much yet but um yeah it's a it's a real fun uh, co-op game um and that's really all i've been playing lately other than this and then all the games of the month <laughs> that i've been doing for all the podcasts
0: <laughs> all right cool well i'll go next because i've only got one sean he probably has multiple games so i'll make this quick i've been playing a game called dauntless on my ps4 This is a free downloadable game, and from what I understand, this is going to be the next big thing coming off of Fortnite, according to my 8-year-old son. It's a pretty cool game. It's a um, MMORPG, so it's online, and it's cross-platform, so you can play with anyone. Free to download, like I said, and basically you have a character and you go out and fight these behemoths and you go in groups so it's more of a co-op game so you're not competing against other people like you do in something like fortnite but you go out in groups of four and hunt these giant behemoths that are really cool looking you use their hides and their parts to uh, craft armor and craft weapons and things like that so uh yeah it's uh a lot of fun and um i've really been enjoying it playing it with my son What's funny is uh, his group leader at his after school program told him about it and plays it. And so now we're trying to uh, get with him and start playing with his (laughs) with his after school leader. So I can imagine how cool it is for my son to uh, play with some adults he loves and respects. So, uh, yeah, it's been a lot of fun. Have you guys ever heard of this game or played it?
2: No, but it sounds a lot like uh, Monster Hunter.
0: It is a little bit like Monster Hunter, and, uh, you know, I would compare it to that. Give it a try. I'm single banana on there if anybody wants to seek me out, so easy to find, and uh, it's not very hard. It's fairly easy, and uh, the battle sometimes can go about 20 minutes long on some of the bigger beasts, so, uh, yeah, it's really fun. I'm quite enjoying it myself.
2: Is it just PS4? Or is it on PC? And
0: no, it's Xbox? on everything. Yeah, there's there's PC, um, you know Xbox, and you know everybody can play together.
2: Excellent. That's the way to do it. Yep, it's a lot of fun. Now Sarah and I are always looking for co-op games, so this sounds like something that we would definitely try, especially free co-op games.
0: Absolutely. And you guys have separate systems, is that right? Yep. Okay. Oh yeah. Yeah. PC Master Race. Check it out. You can come uh, join my guild, Festered. Festered. <laughs> yeah. Writing it down. Festered
2: okay, I'm crossing out Jizzy in dopey time because I don't
0: have time for that now. now I got to go to oh my Dauntless God. check out. All right, Sean, what's you been playing, man?
1: Um, I finished Gears 5. It was good. I liked the game. The open world aspect of it was really oversold. It's not that much of an open world game. You just ride this vehicle from mission to mission, but I liked it a lot. Uh, I Like I said last month, I love... Every Gears game that comes out, I don't care if it's mainline, a spinoff, whatever, I love them all, and this one was was just great. I went back and finished Brave Story New Traveler. It's a PSP game, but I was playing it on my Vita. I was more than halfway through it when we started playing Danganronpa. Uh, I was afraid that going back to it would be a pain in the butt, but I went back to it, and it just so happened where my save was was like right before a major story event, so I got sucked right back into it and finally went through and finished that one. I played Bloodstained Curse of the Moon, which is our game for October. I did my first playthrough on easy mode. I really enjoyed it, and we'll talk all about that next month. I played a game called The Girl and the Robot, which is a game that I actually bought on PS4 like two years ago, just based on the the title and the artwork. It looked intriguing and it was very cheap, but I ended up playing it on the Wii U because I wanted to play something on the Wii U. It's an environmental puzzle game where you play as both, get this, a girl and a robot, and you kind of switch back and forth and do different aspects of the puzzles, like The girl can jump and she can also crawl through things and she can heal the robot if he gets hurt in combat. And then the robot has to do all the heavy lifting, so to speak, the, the, um, combat and moving blocks for, you know, your typical block moving puzzles and everything. Uh, the game's kind of janky. It was like a Kickstarter project. The developers, So far, I've only made this game and they're working on another game that's not related to this, which is a little bit sad because this game is supposed to be like chapter one. And it really ends in a way that will make you want a chapter two very badly. It's a hard game to recommend on gameplay, though, because it is so janky. And because if you like environmental puzzles, they'll probably be too easy for you. But luckily for me, I don't really like environmental puzzles and therefore it was good that they were easy because I felt like a genius solving them all. But the best thing about it was just the feeling of moving these two characters through the game and having them work with each other. It was very adorable, and there's parts where the characters are separated and you have to work to get them back together, and then you can have the robot carry the girl on his shoulders, and it's very cute. So it's it's a hard game to recommend, but I really enjoyed my time with it. Currently, I'm playing a game called Freedom Planet, which is a 2D side-scroller. It started out as a Sonic the Hedgehog fan game, but then became its own thing. It plays a lot like Sonic the Hedgehog. A lot of people know about this game or have already played it. The one thing that surprised me about this game is that the levels are massive, vertically and horizontally, and you could spend a lot of time just exploring these levels. And one of the things about the game is the levels take 15 to 20 minutes to get through. So when you're sitting down for a session to play, you got to keep that in mind. So what I've been doing is just sitting down and playing one level at a time. But I'm really enjoying the game. It's great boss battles. And uh, it has actually fully voiced cutscenes, which is kind of cool for a game that looks like a Sega Genesis game. It has these fully voiced cutscenes that are just in this uncanny valley of voice acting quality where they kind of remind me of like 90s CD-ROM games or like a Sega CD game. The voice acting is good, but it's not like top-notch, great pro quality. And that actually gives it this cool mystique to the game as you're playing it. It really gives you two types of nostalgia at once, the nostalgia for the 16-bit platformers and this weird nostalgia for like CD-ROM games, which I'm really enjoying. And then lastly, I'm playing this game called Yonder, The Cloud Catcher Chronicles. And it's kind of funny because you mentioned Kevin Stardew Valley and Rich, you mentioned in Dauntless that there's some crafting and collecting and gathering And Yonder is just that. It's a 3D open world adventure game with no combat whatsoever. All you do is run around, collect stuff, craft stuff, go on fetch missions for townsfolk or whatever. You build a farm, you hire people to work the farm, you find animals and you feed animals and get them to follow you back to your farm. And it's adorable and cute. And I really like it when I'm playing it. But what's going on with it is that There's no fast travel, so the traversal is a little bit of a pain in the butt, unless as the game goes on you get some kind of vehicle or some way to fast travel. I hope there is. But at this point, it's very hard to get from one end of the map to the other because you have to run. And um, the other thing, too, is like I'll have only so many missions open and I can't turn in any of them or complete any of them. And sometimes I don't know what to do and I don't know where to go and get the next thing that I need to turn in the mission. So every time I feel like I should just dump this game because it's not moving fast enough, I'll play it for 20 minutes and clear three missions and then I'll fall back into this rut again. But again, kind of like the girl in the robot, the game's cuteness, the game's relaxing quality and the fact that there's no combat, it's very colorful and just unpredictable things happen. Like I went to this one town And they were like, oh, it's Halloween. Which costume do you want to wear? And it's like the witch or the vampire butler. So I was like, oh, I'll be the witch because I'm playing as a female character. So, okay, now it's time to go trick or treating. So you go to each house and you get candy and it's like, gosh, this is just adorable and precious. Like, how could I how could I quit this game? It's a it's just beautiful. Like, Rich, I think your children would really enjoy it. And it is out on the PS4 if you wanted to pick it up for them.
0: Does it cost money?
1: <laughs> uh, no, they're giving me away life for free. <laughs> no, it's not free like Dauntless. It is a retail game, but you can get it physically. So.
0: Oh, okay. Well, that makes it better. Yeah. Awesome.
1: So that's it. That's what I've been playing. guys so for september we had a game that's been knocking around for a while and it's that happens to us sometimes sometimes we pull a game out of a hat randomly and sometimes we have one that's sitting in the chamber for a long time and this is one of those it's saints row the third it's a game that i played back in 2012 i know kevin has played before but rich you've never played this before correct
0: I have not, and as I've mentioned on the show before, I am not a fan of the GTA games. I right. just do not like them. And uh, I actually was on social media and actually saw a bunch of posts by Kevin about how great these games were, so that kind of made me want to play it, which <laughs> when we did the when we did the yeah. show, I was like, Sean, we gotta have Kevin on the show. So I'm not wasting my time on Twitter no, after you're not. all.
1: Absolutely. All right. So Kevin, what's your history with the game and the series?
2: Well, I've always been a fan of the Grand Theft Auto games, unlike uh, Rich. You know, they kind of fit my sense of humor in that, uh, even though, like, the games are kind of serious. Like, the story, like, the game itself might be a little serious in tone in that, but there's always, like, this fun element to the Grand Theft Auto games. And the first Saints Row came out, and I hated it. I still hate that game. The first Saints Row is just not a fun game to play. Um, But then Saints Row 2 came out, and they seem to... Take this direction where it started to get its own personality, and they really took that um, uh, Grand Theft Auto sense of humor and really dug in on that. So I started. I played it uh, on the 360 back in the day when it uh, came out, and then three and four came out. and I never really got around to them, and actually, it was um, it was after my uh, my father had passed away in 2017. And those games were just sitting there. And it's like, you know what? I really need like just some absurd humor to get into right now. Like just some ridiculous stuff that really speaks to me. I think it was like November and December. I just sat and I played back-to-back Saints Row 3 and Saints Row 4. And those are probably those posts that you saw, Rich. Mm -hmm. And uh, I just love them. Uh, They took like that sense of humor from 2 and they just went ape with it. They went even further away to now it's like its own thing. It's got its own style, its own sense of humor, and I really dig those games.
1: My history is actually that I had never played the first one, and I still haven't played the first or the second one. I remember the game came out in 2011, and I also was a fan, I still am, of the Grand Theft Auto series. I've played three in Vice City, and all the ones on the PS2. Never finished any of them, until 4 and 5 came out. But uh, I'm a fan of sandbox crime games, and I still am. So the thing about Saints Row is, for some reason, it didn't catch my eye until it started getting a lot of buzz over at Giant Bomb, and this was, to me, the heyday of the Giant Bomb cast. It was Jeff and Patrick Klepik and Vinny and Ryan was still alive, and... They just made this game sound really attractive, and the way they were talking about it, they were hyping it up big time. And uh, my friend Jesse and I were both really big fans of the Bombcast. So, when they started getting hyped over a game like that, we wanted to play it. And Jesse ended up playing it first, and he was like, Oh, yeah, it's worth it. It is what they're saying it is. It's hilarious, it's over the top, it's crazy. And he told me, like, you're gonna love it. So I ended up playing it and I adored it. It was a great game back then, for sure. One of the big things about playing it now was kind of wondering if it would hold up. Before we get into that, let's talk about our participants. So we had the three of us Dougley 007, Mr. Stubbs, Crabmaster 2000, Metal Fro, Pam, Wild Bill 52, and Bickman 2K. And I'll just throw it out here. Metal Fro and Krabby decided to quit the game at certain points. And there's nothing wrong with that. If the game is not bringing you joy, then don't waste another minute of your life on it. That's totally cool. If you're going to bail on a game and you want to tell us why in the forum thread, that's a beautiful thing. And there's nothing wrong with that. So uh, appreciate I have, that I from a friend those guys.
2: I Cincinnati Babyhead. <laughs> And he says, life is a smorg meaning life's a smorgasbord, you know. there's <laughs> lots to enjoy. So if, if you're doing something and you're not enjoying it, just stop yep. and move on to something you enjoy.
1: Yeah, exactly. So I'll go over some release data and a little bit about the story. And I want to shout out again, instead of just running to Wikipedia, I kind of leaned on a YouTuber for my research and I think I'm gonna do this more often. Uh, there's this YouTuber called Color Shed and he reviews a lot of different types of games, but he does really lengthy reviews on all of these sandbox games every Grand Theft Auto game, every Saints Row game, and all kinds of others. And he went into good detail about the development and the story of the games and everything. So, shout out to Color Shed on YouTube. The game was developed by Volition and published by THQ in November of 2011 on the Xbox 360, PlayStation 3, and PC. In 2016, it was released on Linux, and in 2019 on the Nintendo Switch. The game was developed as a sequel to Saints Row 2, and the developers had to decide where to take the series after the first two games, which I haven't played, but I understand the story is basically that the Saints take over Stillwater, which is the city from the first two games. So they said, okay, they've taken over Stillwater twice. Where do we go from here? And legend has it that as soon as somebody came up with the dildo bat, that it was, uh, you know, all the reins were off. And the idea was just to make it as wacky and goofy and over the top as possible. And just for the record, Grand Theft Auto San Andreas had a dildo as a weapon first, but it wasn't quite as big as the one in Saints Row the Third, and it didn't have like a handle the way the one in <laughs> Saints Very Row important the Third. Distinctions. Has. Yeah, so they kind of upped the ante on that. And I'm not saying they ripped off San Andreas in any way, but just uh, just so we don't have to do a correction next month, I'm not saying this was the first game to have a dildo <laughs> as a weapon. To be crystal clear, <laughs> I'm glad that these are the
0: things that we're researching for the show.
1: <laughs> right. <laughs> Um, so the story of the game, the original idea was to have you play as an undercover cop, but they decided not to go that route and they had to scrap six months of development work and start over when they had this revelation to just amp the wackiness up to level, you know, 11. So after two games where the Saints take over Stillwater, the devs decided to dial up the ridiculousness and set the game in the new city of Steelport. The Saints have become a commercial entity after merging with Ultor. And I should mention, Ultor is in the universe of Red Faction. So that's kind of cool that they have this corporate... It's like the evil corporation. It's like the Wayland yutani right? And they have like a shared universe, I guess. That's cool. Yeah. So... Loren, the leader of the Syndicate, which is a group of the rival gangs in the game, demands a huge cut of the Saints' business after he captures the player, Shaundi, and Johnny Gat during a bank robbery. The Saints refuse, and Gat is killed while creating a diversion while the player and Shaundi escape from a flying plane. From there, you must take over Steelport, which is the new city in the game, a completely new map from the first two games and take down the syndicate, as well as STAG, which is a paramilitary group which has been called in by Senator Monica Hughes to try and control the situation in the city. That's the start of the story, and we'll talk more about where the story goes. But I remember the first time I played this game, I thought, wow, what a what an entrance for this game. It's very flashy. You go in with your group and rob a bank. It's kind of funny. You got the... Uh, the actor guy, (laughs) and I remember really enjoying and being blown away by this opening. And I'm curious for you, Rich, someone who's not so much into sandbox games or modern games or shooters or things like this, Like, what was your first impression of the game? Because it really hits hard from the get-go.
0: Yeah, I mean, my first impression of the game was very positive the comical sense of the game and the self-awareness of the game from the onset was really cool and i really enjoyed that quite a lot you go in and you rob this place with these big heads on you know and it's kind of postmodern in a sense because you're this violent gang but everyone loves you everyone's wanting your autograph and stuff like that and so you're going in to rob a bank you know everything's cool you know until things go a little bit haywire I really enjoyed it. I was really shocked that the character Johnny Gat died and I was like, is he really dead? What's going on here? And I'm, even now I'm curious as to what's going to happen in later games. From what I understand, he's a fairly iconic character, so I'm kind of wondering, you know, if he comes back in the later games, which Kevin maybe could tell us or, you know, maybe we shouldn't let that cat out of the bag.
1: No one's really gone. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I want to get Kevin's perspective on the GAT dying thing because, from what I understand from watching the Color Shed reviews, it was controversial at the time, and a lot of people still don't like it. So, Kevin, having played Saints Row one and two before this, what did you make of that?
2: Well, I'll say, like, if there's one criticism I can have for Saints Row, a series as a whole, is that it holds on, I think, a little too closely to the earlier games and its story, because the first game, like, it's not really that good, you know, and the story isn't really that iconic, and it kind of holds on to these characters almost to a fault for, like, people who are new to the series coming into it, and you're kind of scratching your head, like, thinking, why is this Johnny Gat guy so important? And the game doesn't really uh, explain that. It kind of expects you to have played the first two games, right? Yep. So, I was okay with it. <laughs> I think it was it was it was good to get rid of that character and move on and to get into the new characters that they have because I don't think the, the old characters are really worth holding on to. Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah,
1: totally. And I do know I didn't play you know I didn't play one or two, but I I like what I have seen of the character change in Shondy in particular because it seemed like in the earlier games she was just this like burnout hippie kind of annoying character but in saint's row the third she's very confident and mm-hmm. just wants to fight wants to kick ass shoots a lot of people like she's she's the sassy
0: girl that sean and i really love right right yeah.
1: <laughs> we can definitely add her to the list um Yeah, and in its essence, that character change kind of
2: represents the change in direction that the series went from being a clone of Grand Theft Auto to
1: becoming its own thing. Yeah, exactly. Well, let's get into some gameplay and we'll fill in the story as we go because I do have a lot of things I want to say about the story, but I I feel like it would be better served to discuss that with the context of knowing what the gameplay is because even... Even the activities, which are the side missions, are tied into the story in pretty neat ways. Not like genius ways, but I like the way they were tied in. So you have an open world map in the city of Steelport where you can traverse by walking or running or stealing or buying vehicles. Actually, you can't buy vehicles, but you can steal them and put them in your garage. You use the map to find activities or properties that you can buy. And buying the properties increases your hourly income. And I put hourly in quotes because I think it's only hourly to an extent. I think
0: it's about 20 minutes, I think, is what I kind of gleaned from it.
1: I also think, though, Rich, and you can correct me if you observe something different, but I think if you do, like, kind of nothing, you just don't get that money. You have to, like, do stuff to trigger that transfer to pop could up. Be. Oh. I think. I could be totally wrong about that. And I, I, w- I was trying to kind of track it, but I just wasn't getting a good grip on, like, how often those transfers actually happen. But I feel like... If I was just like just running around the map, around not doing anything, I wasn't getting that that transfer. No, I can I can
0: definitely verify that I did a lot of f*ing around in this game, and I always (laughs) got transfers. So it's not mission based because there were times where I would just stay up till three a.m. just stealing cars and painting them. So yeah,
1: okay, cool. (laughs) It must have just been my perception of time and how I was playing. So the game has this like. Economy where you can own real estate, you can own all the shops in the game, uh, like clothing shops, the vehicle repair shops, the tattoo shops, even the plastic surgery shop, which you can edit your character using that. We'll get to character customization in a minute, which is a big part of the game. So you buy these properties, shops, you have this hourly income going on your phone. I love this kind of stuff already, right? So, then you can do activities on the map. Basically, what they did, they took what people like to do in Grand Theft Auto games, which is just cause mayhem, and they just said, okay, we'll reward you for that. So, they made an activity called mayhem. So, you run around with an unlimited rocket launcher, you cause as much dollar <laughs> damage as you can. And, you know, once you hit a certain goal with the dollar damage, you past that activity and that's just one example of a type of activity there's other ones like uh, the one where you ride a four-wheeler through exploding cars and people through checkpoints Um, there's helicopter escort missions there's all kinds of great activities the other thing you have obviously are the story missions and those you pull up on your cell phone and the cell phone is really cool because they I mean this game came out in twenty twelve. I don't have my like technology history perfect in my head, but they got the smartphone look pretty perfect. The smartphones that we use today have been kind of ossified for many years now. So even if they were like kind of early on the cusp of that, they got this cell phone look right. Like if you play Grand Theft Auto 4, you're playing on like a not a flip phone, but a phone with buttons. It's not a smartphone. But in this game you have a smartphone that looks like the smartphones we use today. So that aged very well. It has icons on it, has a map on it, like stuff you would use. It even has a camera, but uh, I know at least on the PS3 version, you can't use the camera anymore because it's tied to the servers and the servers are no longer up for the game. So completing story missions and the activities earns you respect which is the experience system for leveling your character. And the level cap is 50. And as you go up the ladder of these levels, you unlock different upgrades that you can do, and the upgrades cost money. So with each activity or mission you do, you get respect and money, and you have to pick and choose where you want to put your money Which you also need to keep in mind, you can buy weapons, you can upgrade weapons, you can upgrade vehicles, uh, you can buy clothing and accessories and tattoos and stuff. These things don't cost a ton of money, but I found early in the game, a lot of my money was being used on ammo (laughs) and trying to upgrade my weapons and trying to upgrade my character. But by the late game, the upgrade system kind of can break the game because they literally have upgrades where you don't take any damage whatsoever
0: unlimited ammo as well
1: yeah so i want to know how you guys dealt with this because for me i don't want the game to be not fun and for there to be no danger or no risk whatsoever so i stopped short of doing no bullet damage i think i did no fall damage because i fell off so many damn things and died throughout my playthrough that i was like all right i'm gonna i'll take no fall damage because that was just annoying And I only put unlimited ammo on my pistols and rocket launchers because I just didn't want to be this like crazy, overpowered, invincible entity within the game. Did you guys kind of approach it the same way?
2: Well, I I found it took a while for you to level up to that point. You had to get to level 50, right? Yeah, Yeah, that's the level cap. Yeah, to be completely invulnerable and then have enough money to buy those upgrades. So I just stuck to the main campaign for the most part while i was playing the game so i didn't really run into that issue later on when i started doing all the extra stuff i did upgrade like i did reach level 50 and i did buy everything and it was i found it fun because it reminded me of those um uh you know cheat codes that used to put into video games you know the god mode or whatever and just be able to do anything so i was able to explore things and just do some crazy stuff like take one of them harrier jets and bring it all the way to the ceiling of the game and then just jump out of it you know kind of thing just just to see what would happen so i found that i found it to be fun and if i could just be an (laughs) Apple for for just a second please do Um, Mm by 2011 apple was on the iphone 4 so they should have had a real grasp on the uh, cell phone okay smartphone
1: no that's fine i think i had my first like candy bar smartphone was in like Oh nine, I think uh, I got some kind of Samsung that basically resembles the phone I have now uh, so thanks for the clarification
2: no problem my first smartphone was 2014 so
1: okay yeah. <laughs> cool uh, rich how did you approach the upgrade system and did you stop short of making your character just invincible
0: oh no way man and okay. I'm actually <laughs> really really shocked that you stopped To me, I mean, usually when you play games, you're like, oh, I just want to be overpowered, you know, especially with RPGs, like I just want to make the fights as easy as they can be. So for you to not want to take out all the challenge, that's, uh, you know, it says something about the game. But for me, I don't know. I feel like the game was just so lighthearted and fun, like just to make it easier or whatever to be virtually invincible. it, It was fine. I made it all the way up to level 49. I'm not quite at 50 yet. I'm actually going to keep playing this game a little bit longer. Uh, just because I want to upgrade everything, see if I can get a trophy, because I'm so close anyway. It would seem silly not to do that. But, uh, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I've enjoyed the upgrade system and um, you know, just had a lot of fun with it and maxed out everything I could.
1: Awesome. I should also mention that there are collectibles in the game. Uh, there's stacks of money, there's sex dolls, and uh, there's one other.
0: Yeah, my kids and the sex dolls. That's a story
1: for the ages. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> squeaky, squeaky, uh, The squeaky. other one I can remember is uh, <laughs> is photo ops, which is actually kind of cool. As yeah. you're running around the game, there's bystanders like, hey, hey, take a picture, and you just walk up and pose for them. It's actually a cool like, contextual uh, collectible in the game, but Please tell me the story of the sex dolls and your children.
0: I mean, daddy, kind of, what is that? Yeah, well, I mean, I have an eleven-year-old daughter, so you know, we've we've had a lot of the talks before. My son's eight, so you know, he's heard the word before. I'm very open with my kids about things. They feel comfortable asking any questions so you know they know sort of the basic gist of what that word means so just with the dolls and stuff just flying over and i would just pick them up and they would just start squeaking and stuff dad what's a sex doll i'm just kind of (laughs) like uh yeah it's just a funny thing that people buy for like a party or something like that so that's kind of where i went with that you know with them so that's
1: a good answer that's really smart actually yeah
0: you know when you when you have a um a bachelorette or a bachelor party for people get married you know you buy those sometimes and you know just as a gag just a goof man exactly
1: (laughs) (laughs) awesome i basically described kind of the trappings of the game what it is it's a third person shooter on a proprietary engine so volition they have their own engine for this series and you are in the third person and you shoot many different weapons, guns, rocket launchers, uh, drone strikes, airstrikes, and then there's more novelty and comedy weapons. There's like a Mega Man buster that you get from one of the missions that has infinite ammo that a lot of people on the forum were into. I'm wondering with you guys, how did you approach the weapons? Because what I found myself doing was just finding one that i liked that was more conventional and maxing it out getting all the upgrades and just keeping it full on ammo i found that to be very deadly for my opponents this game is known for its kind of quirkiness and comedy but i didn't use a lot of the comedy weapons even the ones that i thought were cool like the the squid mind control gun that you get pretty like right off the bat i think at the very beginning of the game which you can shoot at people and then they start shooting at each other instead of you, which I love that kind of stuff in games, but I just didn't use it that much. I wanted to just use my normal pistols and machine guns and stuff. So I don't know, Kevin, did you lean on the conventional weapons like I did, or did you experiment more?
2: No, I did too. Um, you know, just your, your handguns and all that. I will say the missile launcher, uh, that thing was fun. Yeah. When you get that leveled up, I mean, you could take on anything. Nothing can stand in your way. They, the cops will send tanks out to you, and you just blow them all away. It was good times. Uh, but, yeah, for the most part, during the missions and the game and that, I just stuck to rifle, shotgun, handgun,
0: all
1: that stuff. Yeah, Rich, what about you? Yeah,
0: I didn't go with really any of the um, gag weapons, or I actually didn't even use any of the handheld weapons either, like the ball bat, you know, or the uh, the dildo bat, as we were talking about earlier, but uh, I really found myself really enjoying the shotgun, the missile launcher, like Kevin said, and uh, just dual wielding those pistols was a lot of fun for me. I felt like the machine guns sometimes it took way too many bullets to take some of the characters down with those, mm. and so... I always felt like head shooting people with pistols was like the kind of the best way to go. You had some grenades and stuff like that, which I, I had a lot of fun with. I really liked when you get to a certain point, you get incendiary bullets. Because you can shoot them into automobiles and just blow up like a ton of people if they're chasing you down. Just by blowing up a car and, you know, like sometimes you'd get this incredible like chain reaction and just wipe out a ton of people. So... uh With these type of games, I always lean on the shotgun, and any time I had a situation where it was close-quartered, I did the same thing.
1: Awesome. What were some of you guys' favorite activities to do on the map? Uh, One that I forgot to mention that was actually my favorite was Professor Genki's Super Ethical (laughs) Reality Climax, which is a game show. It's kind of like Mad World. There's like commentators commentating over it as you're going through it. And you just have to kill these, they're called mascots. They're characters that are dressed up like the Saints Row energy drink or they're dressed up like animals or hot dogs and they're coming at you. But there's also these flame traps and electricity traps and then there's uh, these boards that you can shoot at to get extra time or health. Your health doesn't regenerate in these. You have to get the health like through a power up through one of these boards by shooting it. I actually really like these, even though they could get sometimes frustrating. I really like just the presentation, like the mixed presentation of this, like it's a Japanese game show, but it has these two like American dude bros commentating over it, just being funny. And I couldn't get enough of when you get the health upgrade. And uh, Professor Genki goes extended reality <laughs> every time he said that, I just loved it. Um, so that was my favorite activity, Kevin. What was yours?
2: Oh, yeah, no, that, that was definitely my favorite as well. But I enjoyed like, I just like those um, assassination, yeah, missions.
1: Oh, the saints book. Yeah. So that's, we should mention that's a little bit different because they're not on the map. You actually have to pull those up in your phone. I think that actually, it adds a little bit more of like a cool context because you go through, there's like a file with special instructions on each one. Please talk about that. But I really enjoyed those as well.
2: Yeah. So it's just, uh, there's like several different people in this address book that you get the missions from. Um, and there's, I think there was about 20 or 25 or even might've been 30 of them. And they just give you somebody to go and assassinate. It's kind of like something that's in Grand Theft Auto, but I think the Saints Row twist is that they would get you to do something to trigger the thing. Like I remember I had to streak <laughs> in front of so I had to go to like a clothing shop first to take off all my clothes so I could streak. And that brought out like this prudish old lady who i guess was going to give you crap for streaking in the street and that's who you kill that's who you assassinate kind of thing
0: yeah you had to streak in front of a church She was a member of some like church group or something (laughs) it's a great twist
2: Uh, yeah uh, those were just those were fun
0: yeah i'm with you kevin that was my favorite i love the assassinations and uh i did every one of them I I had to I could not stop I would stay up late at night doing assassinations and stealing cars for myself and my kids to uh, you know paint up and uh, design I let them design their own cars and yeah, that, that was a lot of fun. Um, aside from that, the other thing I really like was sort of these pockets of gang members, and you would have to take them all out uh, to gain um, more influence. I like that as well. I thought that was kind of cool. I guess that's sort of like an activity slash collectible in a way, you know, it's kind of runs the gamut for both of those. But uh, if I had to pick one activity, it would probably be the assassinations.
1: Awesome. And yeah, you bring up there's two kind of activities that pop up I want to say randomly or they don't also fit into the mold of just being an activity and you go and do it and one of those is the gang activity that you mentioned you go into a gang's territory and you have to kind of stumble upon these they're not on the map until you get close enough to them and it's basically a group of one of the gangs in the game there are three gangs in the game the morning star is kind of like a typical gang no frills they just have red and black clothes and cars the deckers are kind of like the technology based almost like tron they have like (laughs) rollerblades and swords and stuff and uh their colors are blue and black and then the luchadors uh, is kind of self-explanatory they're like luchadors and their colors are black and green Uh, So you will stumble upon what's called the gang activities, and it's just a bunch of enemies of a particular gang, and you have to take them all out, and then you earn a little bit of territory. The game has a system of earning territory back, which is kind of similar to what they did in uh, Grand Theft Auto San Andreas, but in this game... I don't know. I I paid attention to it a lot at first, but as I was organically just mopping up everything on the map, I wasn't worried so much about territory. And I found that the system was a little bit imperfect because eventually you get an upgrade that just takes the territory. And I realized that I had a couple things that were like 99%. And it's like, what am I missing? I did everything on this section of the map. And I don't know if I was missing some collectibles or something, but I found the the system to be a little wonky. The other kind of random thing was the, the like mini horde modes that you would get. You'd get a call on your cell phone and it would be like, Hey, there's too many luchadors in this area. Let's teach them a lesson. And you would go and you'd fight a couple, but then it would say like wave one of six, right? So then like, oh man, there's more coming, get ready. And it was kind of like a horde mode. I actually really liked these, even though I felt like the phone always rang when I was about to do something else. So sadly, I kind of ignored it a lot, but the ones that I did, I really enjoyed that because it's just, it's just another instance of just going crazy, taking people out and, uh, just being a badass and running the tables on everybody.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's the neat thing about this game is there's just such a plethora of things to do. And like you said, it's open world, so you get to kind of choose. I mean, you can do the story mode if you want to, which is usually basically picking the scenarios at the top of the cell phone list and going through it and play just through the story if you want to. You can play all these little side stories if you want. You can do the little missions. You can answer your cell phone. I mean, you never run out of things to do, and it gives the player a lot of autonomy to decide what they want to do next. And uh, I think it's one of the things I really like about it. It's not limited. It's not limited. I always felt like when I played GTA games, I would get to a spot where, if I didn't get past a certain point, I couldn't progress, and I would just get so frustrated. And you know, it was usually some car chasing or something like that. So, that's one of the things I really liked about this game, and um, just thought it was pretty cool.
1: Awesome. we've talked quite a bit about the customization that's available in the game. Uh, We already talked about the weapon upgrades that you can buy. Talked a little bit about the vehicle customization. I'll just add that you can take any vehicle that you steal or take off the road and bring it to any of your safe houses. They're called cribs and each one has a garage. At least most of them do. And you can, store any vehicle in there and then either there or at the auto shop which is called rim jobs uh, you can (laughs) upgrade your vehicles and i gotta tell you the first time i played this game in 2011 i didn't touch the vehicle customization whatsoever but in this playthrough i tried it out and i really loved it. it it changes the driving to a drastic degree and i would have never thought as much Uh, You can increase the torque, the armor, you can add a nitrous boost, which actually is a separate upgrade where eventually every car you drive can have a nitrous boost, but you can pay for it on any vehicle individually earlier in the game. Um, And you can change the colors, the wheels, the tint, all kinds of stuff, decals. I really got into it this playthrough, and Rich, you were talking about you and your kids, Tarting up some vehicles, uh, <laughs> Kevin, were you were you into this aspect of the upgrade system?
2: Yeah, and at first, when you first start playing the game, and you know you're trying out the cars and that, at first, I was like, oh, that's one thing Grand Theft Auto has over this game is the driving is so much better in those games than this one. But then you realize it's because you know you're, the car you're driving hasn't been upgraded yet, and once that opened up to me, like, i'd opened up a whole new world. And yeah, it's almost like a like a hidden. I, I, is is it okay to say hidden gem inside <laughs> of a game? Uh, because it's almost like its own thing. You yeah. Know? And yeah, it's definitely worth doing on some of your favorite vehicles because it's going to make some of the driving missions, the ones that you can pick a vehicle to use, anyways, uh, much easier.
1: Yeah, it's deeper than it looks. You can even
2: uh, have bulletproof glass. I think yep. you can have bulletproof tires. Tires, and, right? make it
0: drive faster, all that stuff. Yeah, it's
1: good times. So, Rich, what were your children doing to these vehicles?
0: You know, it's funny, generationally, like, they would always pick, like, the cars that, like, were mimicking, like, uh, the Porsche, Um, You know, or the BMW or something like that, you know, something, you know, fast and more modern where I was going for the more classic cars, like the ones that look like the old Novas or the old Chevelles as, you know, my favorites. But, uh, yeah, they would fight over who got to customize what and, you know, the colors and everything. Well, Well, she got to do two. I only got to do one. And we finally figured out that the garage only holds so many. So, yeah, it just became a complete madhouse. But uh, it was a lot of fun at the same time because it was cool to see their personalities in the cars and, you know, getting to design them and stuff like that. Now, they didn't want to drive them, and they would always fight over which one I would be driving. You need to drive my car now, Dad. So chaos ensued.
1: Awesome.
0: Kids are great, Sean. (laughs) (laughs) I keep reiterating that, don't I? I'm really selling it here. (laughs) Nice.
1: Well, let's get into... What I think will be our favorite aspect of customization, and that's character customization. I absolutely adored this aspect of the game. For what it's worth, I gleaned from the reviews I watched that it's not quite as robust as Saints Row 2, but it was robust enough for me because you can customize your character from head to toe, There's a lot of different outfits and pieces of clothing that you can wear, accessories, tattoos, jewelry, hairstyles, all this kind of stuff. And you can play as a male character or a female character. And for both male and female, you have three voices that you can choose from. You can even mix and match male voices with a female character and vice versa, which I think is pretty amazing and kind of one of the things that really really sets it apart from a Grand Theft Auto game because all those games have set characters and to this day as the time of this recording you still cannot play as a female character in any Grand Theft Auto game that's right so you guys know me and we're going to go <laughs> we've agreed to go through and kind of describe the characters that we created because this is so much fun and y'all know me our listeners know me I went with the female character and I chose the Laura Bailey voice and we've been talking her up a lot lately. She's just one of my favorite voice actors and just an amazing person. So I went with that and I did a tall, slender woman with uh, one of the like 50s hairdos with black hair, devil horns, really harsh eyeliner hipster glasses, door knocker, hoop earrings, jewelry. Uh, She was just wearing a t-shirt because I wanted to show off her tattoos that were from head to toe. I I picked the biggest tattoos on every part of her body. I did the short shorts, which I actually thought were pretty perfect because they weren't like hot pants. I think they were called hot pants, but they weren't hot pants where they're like, Whoa, that's too short. They were just kind of like tasteful hot pants. So I had those in black. She was really like black on black, black hair, black shorts, a gray and black t-shirt. I put her in high heels and, uh, all the jewelry that I could get on her, uh, hands and fingers, a sweatband, and you cannot play this game without the anime kitty backpack, uh, because <laughs> the anime kitty backpack and the, actually the bad kitty backpack, the blue one is the one I used. Um, there's a blue one and a pink one. I use a blue one. And the best thing about the backpack is that when you're running around and playing a game and shooting people and jumping off buildings and He's just kind of flopping around and his arms flail back and forth as you're running. It's so great. But my character was basically a lens through which I would view myself. Like I dressed her the way I would dress and she had tattoos that I would have if I had the time and money and I just gave her a style that I would enjoy if I was her, I guess.
0: Sounds like a character straight off a of cramps album,
1: yeah, and she had a she had the huge spider tattoo on her neck, so that's a that's an apt uh comparison so what about you guys, Kevin? What was your character like
2: well i thought i I, I definitely picked the female character because I wanted uh something better to look at mm-hmm. if you know what I'm saying um and she had a um I, I'm gonna sound totally creepy describing her, so let's just say she <laughs> <laughs> the cheerleader outfit. She might have been wearing that at some point. Um and she had a she looked like Jessica Rabbit, I guess.
1: Oh, kind of, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, right. Look.
2: Um and uh on the PC, well, you know the PC has mods, right? Okay. And uh, you can download some mods to, to patch things to uh you know, uncensor some things if you want if you want to you know it's there the options are there um but yeah she had many different outfits and uh i thought that uh, jennifer hale was in this game but she must be only in F- saints row four so i couldn't tell you which voice i picked i can't
1: remember it's funny that you mentioned that because when i first played this game in 2011 i played it very close to when i played mass effect one and two and yeah. I thought at the time I said, "Oh, Jennifer Hale's in this game too," but it was actually Laura Bailey. So that's who it is. Yeah, right?
2: yeah. It's, she sounds like yeah, Jennifer very Hale, similar. Yeah, but in Saints Row Four, you can actually pick like, like the voice actress's name, like or voice actor, like if uh, you want. That's cool yeah. that
1: they made that more clear. I didn't remember that. That's that's pretty cool. Yeah, in this game, it just says voice one, voice two. Right. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Rich, what about you?
0: Man, I got to tell you, like, Sean, hey, you're rubbing off on me. Because <laughs> I'm, I'm picking female characters now. Even in Dauntless, I have a female character. I start off with a male and I changed it to female just because I just wasn't happy with it. Yeah, it's, it's funny. These characters are like kind of personal introspectives. As I was playing this and I was designing my character, I wasn't thinking about it. I just, you know... Put her in things I wanted. I used the shorts like you did. Uh, she was also in heels. I gave her green hair, you know, kind of shoulder lift, hoop earrings, tats, sort of the um, like the tie and vest kind of look as well. You know, about halfway through my playthrough, I'm like sitting here looking at it. And I'm like, oh my god, what have I done? And I posted about this on Twitter. I created pizzazz from. The the show Jim and the Holograms, (laughs) unintentionally, not knowing it though, as a young man, I definitely had a crush and and maybe even still this day, have a bit of a crush on Pizzazz from the Misfits. So uh, yeah, I think that's where my design actually came from. You know, just the recesses of my mind uh, as I was creating this uh, character. But yeah, a lot of fun. I really enjoyed that. I think I used the same voice that uh, both of you guys did.
1: That's cool. I love that in the game, you can go to the plastic surgery store to change anything about your character. Um, I don't think you see that too much in a game. Like when you pick a character, you're set with it. Like a lot of times you can change their clothes and accessories and stuff, but you can completely change your character in this game uh, in any way that you want at any time in the game, which I think is really cool. That gives you a lot of freedom.
2: Well, sometimes in that character creation venue, you'd create the character and, like, oh, that looks pretty good. And then those cutscenes would start, and you're like, ooh, from this angle, this this is not good. So I had to do something with them cheekbones. (laughs) I couldn't wait to get to the plastic surgeon and fix that.
1: Yeah, I actually had one of my hairstyles, I did the one with the chopsticks in the back. And okay. the bangs are very long and they kept clipping through her face. And I'm like, nope, this won't do. I got to change this hairdo as soon as possible. So, because I was just really annoying. So,
0: isn't it funny that 40 year old men are playing dress up? <laughs> <laughs> It's fun, man. It's just fun. It is great. It's
1: funny because my wife uh, plays The Sims 4 a lot. I've talked about this before. And she, when I first started play this, playing this game, I spent hours upon hours in the character customization. And she kept coming in and she was just like, why don't you just play The Sims? You know? It's like, <laughs> no, I like this game. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> oh, man. All right, so you know, we've talked enough about the gameplay and the customization and everything. So let's get into the graphics of the game and the environments. So you're in an open world city, and I got to say this is one of the parts of the game where it's not exactly a home run as far as being visually appealing. It's colorful to an extent, But I thought if it was more colorful, it might have helped the game a little bit. I'm not complaining, really, about the graphics and environments. Like, the traversal of the city has a really good flow. And uh, the layout of everything, I really liked. But you're in a city. And there are spots of color, like uh, the Saints shop, the, the clothing store. Um, it's very colorful. There's a casino. There's all these little different spots of color that kind of pop out. Um, but there's a lot of parts that are just kind of gray and brown and a little bit drab, but it is a city. So it fits the tone of the game. And, and again, with the customization options, you can have a very colorful character. You could have colorful vehicles. Um, so it's a really, really mild criticism that I have, uh, that should be taken with a grain of salt, I played this on the PS3, and I thought the graphics were fine. I didn't really have any trouble with, like, textures or anything. Uh, I didn't see anything that was, like, offensive to my eyeballs (laughs) as far as graphics go. Kevin, I know you played this on PC, and uh, I don't want to be too smarmy about it, but I know you're going to say how much better the graphics were. Uh, Oh, it's
2: beautiful. 4K, 60 frames per second. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. It was like you know it was just rubbing it right in your face it was good times uh no there i i mean it's a game from 2011 right so yeah. it's a la- it's really a last gen game so it looks like a last gen game i did notice there was some pop in i don't know if you experienced that on the console um it might have been because i had the um the view as far as it could go so like you'd be driving down the street you'd see like cars pop in like way far okay. ahead I, I don't know if you guys I think saw I saw
1: that. a little bit of that, but it wasn't like a major yeah. problem.
2: Yeah, nothing nothing major. I mean I'm it's a cartoonish game. Yes. The city has a little bit of a cartoonish feel and vibe to it, so it all fit and worked for me. Even and the character models, considering how customizable they are, still look great. So I, I really had no problems with the graphics at all. Cool. Rich?
0: Yeah, I didn't have any problems with the graphics at all and You know, I mean, I'm completely behind in what most people play as far as modern (laughs) games, as we all know, so even though it was a PS3 game, we have been playing a lot of PS4 games on this podcast, I didn't see any thing that really dated it or made it look bad. It was a little glitchy at times every once in a while, especially when you would hit someone with a car or something that was like their torso would just be sticking out of the road or half of them would be inside of a wall or something (laughs) like that. Mm. And and so there were those moments in the game that I noticed. But for me, even though I knew it was like a glitch, it just kind of added to the comedy of the entire game. And I loved it. That was great.
2: Yeah. Sometimes like uh, those uh, bridges that you had to jump, those jaw bridges... Like, if I was on a motorbike, sometimes the front of the motorbike would get stuck in the drawbridge. Like, there was, like, some clipping error or something like that. And even cars, too. Sometimes you would hit something, and the car would be stuck inside the building. So I I don't know if that was a PC thing or or what, but there was definitely some clipping things going on. And it might have been because the resolution was bumped up
0: to 4K on my monitor, so that might have messed it up a little bit. Yeah, could be. Hmm. You know, something else I really liked about the environments, too, and I think we mentioned this before, was the store names. Some of my favorites were, like, Nobody Loves Me, which was, like, the goth shop. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> kind of like the hot topic, of the, exactly, yeah.
0: exactly. And there was another one too that I can't remember, and I've been trying to search for it as we've been talking. But uh, one that was particularly funny was this one called Leather and Lace, which is a clothing store, but that's actually the strip club name in my hometown. So uh, oh, that's yeah, that funny. that got a little close to home. <laughs> 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 anyway, I just wanted to mention, it. I just really enjoyed that aspect of it, and it just added to a lot of the humor in the game. That was clearly abundant.
1: That's great that you mentioned that. And that's something that I'm going to bring up in my closing thoughts is the uniqueness and how special the humor in this game is. So, yeah, let's move on into the music and sound. This game has a licensed soundtrack where you can listen to radio stations if you're in a vehicle and sometimes they play from a vehicle if you're close enough to it, which I thought was kind of a cool touch. I actually wrote a review of some of the songs on this soundtrack because some of my favorite songs actually appear in this game. So if you want to see my my last blog article as of this recording was about the music in Saints Row. But uh, I really like this soundtrack. I like that there's an option to turn off stations that you're not going to listen to so for me I didn't have the classical music on and I didn't have the heavy metal station on I'm sorry guys but I'm not really not really into heavy metal there's some good songs on it but there was other stuff I would much rather hear uh, I really liked K rhyme or crime or whatever you want to call it which is the rap station I like gen X and uh A couple of the other ones and you know what we talked about music about an hour and a half at the top of this show so I don't want to labor it too much but I do want to talk about like what were some of our favorite songs mine was definitely Kong by the doe which is just this crazy goofy off-the-wall song that it was the first time i ever heard that band was in this game and it really got me into them and i kind of love when that happens when a video game has licensed music and it's good enough to get you into a band that you end up sticking with that's one of like my favorite things about gaming So, yeah, let's just go real quick through some of our favorites. Just name a station or some songs that you had on your mixtape. I should say this mixtape function. You can pick songs from individual stations, throw them on a a list, and play only those songs. It gets a little cumbersome because they play in the same order every time you start the game and sometimes when you boot a new mission. Uh, But you can rearrange them. You can delete songs. and uh, I just wish there was a shuffle function, but there isn't one. Um, Rich, you, you sounded like you're ready to ready to talk about your mixtape and some tracks that you, you had. So what were some of your favorites?
0: Well, I'm going to start off by disappointing you and saying that I had to turn off the rap station, uh, especially with my kids around all yeah, the time because, yeah... yeah and the lyrics are fairly explicit on that station but uh, the mixtape feature was definitely my favorite. I could just put together you know, what I wanted to, to listen to and some of the best songs for me was uh, like Holding Out for a Hero by Bonnie Tyler <laughs> like doing that and blowing people away I love that. That's so great that and uh, You're the Best Around by Esposito from the Karate Kid soundtrack was amazing those are two of my favorites um, of course Fake No More's Epic Run DMC's My Adidas. My Life by Talk Talk, another fun song to kind of blow people away to and actually drive to. is was awesome. Yep. Uh, the Butthole Surfers, Pepper, another favorite. And then a song that we had talked about before Sean, I'd picked up a vinyl by the group uh, The Icicle Works. Um, that song Whisper to a Scream is actually on there.
1: That's a great great 80s song. Yeah, yeah
0: so that was a lot of fun to, to listen to as well. So, oh, And also there was an Opath song on there, so I did put some metal on my mix as well. So yeah, it was a lot of fun. Nice.
1: Kevin, I'm guessing a lot of uh, heavy metal on, off of uh, The Blood, 66.6. <laughs>
2: actually, you know, a lot of the metal on there was kind of that guttural stuff, which actually I'm not really much of a fan Okay, of. I'm more of a, you know, traditional, I guess, sounding uh, metal, either the melodic stuff or stuff like Dave Mustaine or something like that. The guttural stuff really doesn't do it for me. But um, I did have a lot of songs that Rich talked about already. A lot of stuff from the 80s channel on there, uh, including Relax from uh, Frankie Goes to Hollywood. And um, they, there is a Black Keys song on yep. there. Yeah. It's pretty good. I can't remember which one it was. It just play all the time. But I definitely did stick to the tape deck. I didn't really care for any of the channels. And I like that you could take songs from the other channels and put it on the tape deck like you didn't have to just stick to one station right so you can kind of yep. pick and choose so if you wanted a metal song if you wanted an eighty song in your mix you can do whatever you want so that was that was nice
0: yeah and when i was just listening to the radio i probably listened to the mix station more than any other station though yeah me too yeah it's kind of like a good little mix of things
1: awesome so at this point we're coming close to the end, but there's a few things that I want to talk about in the story, and I think I can enunciate what I'm trying to say in a general way, and then maybe we can give some examples, and I'll, I want to see if you guys agree with me, or if if I'm just off base and not making sense. So the way I view this the story of this game, I actually think it's a really good story, and that even though the main thing of the game is to take out these... Uh, gangs one by one and just take over Steelport. There's a lot going on and there's a ton of different characters and they all interact with each other and there's all these little subplots going on and it really carries the game from start to finish and it makes you want to do the story missions to see what happens. The problem I have with this is that there's a lot of instances where I don't think they go deep enough into what is happening and sometimes things just get kind of left behind and i'm not saying that there's plot holes or plot threads that i would like to see tied up it's more like the characterizations can fall short on certain characters and the one example that i have i'll just throw out there there are the twins kiki and viola and they are loren's like assistants at the beginning of the game When Loren gets taken out, they start working with Kilbane and Matt Miller of the Deckers. I forget exactly what happens, but Kilbane ends up killing Kiki. I think he's just, his characterization is that he's a roided out rage machine. And what happens after that with Viola is almost nothing. And this is her identical twin sister. And she should be in a blind rage for revenge uh, against Kilbane, but I feel like she really wasn't. Now, she joins the Saints to get back at him, and, and that's how she ends up on your team for the rest of the game. But that's just one example of something happens and the characters don't act as I thought they should have. And Not as
0: passionate.
1: Not as passionate. Like, draw it out a little bit, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know. I think the whole thing was just, sometimes it was just about, like, being goofy and getting to the next thing. What did you guys think about this?
2: Being goofy and getting to the next thing. I think that's what the game's like. Its total mission is, yeah. Um, so I, I don't think they they were really that concerned with you know too much depth in, in the story.
1: Yeah, I don't even think that it led to like some kind of confusion in tone, which is something that some games get criticized very hard for. Yeah, I don't know. I guess I just wish certain characters were more fleshed out. Rich, you got anything to chime in on this one?
0: No, I mean, I kind of see both sides of the coin on this. I mean, I, I definitely see what you're saying. I, I could definitely would have liked a little more story on some of the characters, but at the same time, like Kevin's saying, um, it is kind of goofy. It's just, you know, from one thing to the next, you're kind of just adding new characters, you know, like Oleg and uh, I'm trying to think of the boxer's name Angel. Uh, Angel. Um, and so, yeah, I would have liked to have seen these characters probably been a little more developed as opposed to um, becoming side characters in a part of your gang and just somebody you could just call every once in a while. Though, yeah. you know, you got a little more of it, some than others, but I agree, you know, with the character Viola. You didn't get a lot other than just her joining the Saints, which I guess in thinking about it, that is kind of a big revenge, you know, and kind of turns the tide in the game.
1: Yeah, maybe it's just that. Maybe I wish Viola was a harsher character after what happened to her, and uh, I'm taking like too much of a hold on that. Uh, one of the other major moments of the game that I just want to mention is is in the beginning of the game when the main character and Pierce are singing the Sublime song, What I Got in the Car. This is actually a very famous moment in the game and in the series in general because it just was a really heartfelt moment. Of these two characters singing casually in a car the way that you would with an old friend and kind of riffing on the lyrics a little bit, messing up the lyrics. It was very, very well done in the context of, you know, like being immersed with these characters. So uh, I just wanted to call that out as one of the great moments in the game.
4: He's stacked all around your neck Strung out and thin Calling some friend Trying to cash some check He's acting dumb That's what you've come to expect Needle in the head
1: So at this point, gentlemen, I think we should roll into our final thoughts. Uh, If it's all right with you, Rich, I think you should go first, then I'll go, and then Kevin. Does that sound good? That
0: sounds great to me. Cool. Yeah, so um, I'll admit, you know, I was a little skeptical even after... uh, Kevin's recommendation, you know, which you know everyone should be jumping <laughs> on, of course. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, I was skeptical in playing this game because, as I've mentioned before, I do not like the Grand Theft Auto series very much, and uh, you know, maybe it's something that I should probably revisit and play some of the more modern versions. But every time I've played a game on the PS2, it's just a game I've picked up for a little while, put several hours into it, and uh, put down. On the other hand. I love the game Bully, which I played on PS2, which is a very similar type of open-world game as um, Saints Row and the Grand Theft Auto series. So I think what does it for me, especially with the Saints Row series, what I love so much about Saints Row 3, is the humor in the game does not stop. It's so lighthearted. It's super, super self-aware. It takes the edge off the violence. You're not creating a violent situation for violence' sake it just becomes a part of the humor you know even like driving onto the sidewalk and taking out several pedestrians as you're going it doesn't feel like a serious moment you know it's just fun some of the things i do want to mention about the game that we didn't mention earlier i really love the mapping system in this game and i think that was mentioned on the forums i really enjoy the fact that you can plug in the destination for a place and then when you get in the car that the arrows show up, the green arrows, and you kind of maps you out and takes you directly to where you need to go. I just thought that was a great part of the game and I remember playing the Grand Theft games and it just wasn't so intuitive. One of my kind of gripes about the game was the phone transfers. I didn't like that and I didn't see it until like several hours into the game and I think someone else had an issue with this. Uh, You actually have to physically go to your phone and transfer the money into your account which is a little bit annoying. I wish they would just kind of throw it in there. And then the other thing I do want to mention that I really didn't like, that zombie level almost made me throw my damn controller across the room. And uh, I had to have my eight-year-old talk me off the ledge with that because uh, it was just so frustrating. The running zombies just grabbing you all the time. You're not having enough time to be mobile and shoot. That was quite frustrating. But that's really the only negative part of this game that I can really point to. I had such a great time with this game. It's a lot of fun. I'm really glad we picked it, and I would not be surprised if it was on my end-of-year top five list. And I just want to say one more thing. Burt f***ing Reynolds. There it is. (laughs) (laughs) You beat me to it.
1: Nice. Those are great thoughts, Rich. And as for myself... I want to kind of tag team what you were saying about the humor and this is where this game to me stands head and shoulders above Grand Theft Auto because Grand Theft Auto series does have a humor to it but a lot of times it's a mean-spirited humor and the one example that keeps popping into my head when I was thinking about wanting to say this is that in the real world we have a company called Apple and their products are iPhones, iPads and i everything. In the Grand Theft Auto universe, the product is called iFruit. You know, in our world fruit is a homophobic slur, right? So in Grand Theft Auto it's called iFruit. I don't have a problem with this on a moral or philosophical level. But it's a underhanded, mean-spirited jab at something. You know what I mean? Where, as in Saints Row, all the humor is in the spirit of self-deprecation and let your freak flag fly. All the jokes, none of them are mean-spirited. None of them could be turned on any specific person or group or anything. They're all faced inward at the characters themselves or at the situation or at the gangs or whatever it is and uh i feel like there's a lot more love in saints row than there is in something like a grand theft auto and that's that's one of the reasons i appreciate it so much
0: Lovin's what it's got
1: <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> um and as far as just my final thoughts on playing it again You know, the first time I played this game in 2012, it came out in 2011. I played it the first time in 2012. I loved it. I was just smitten with it. I had so much fun with it. As I said, I didn't dive deep into all all of the customizations and all the things that could really be explored in the game. And I didn't, at the time, play the DLC either, which we didn't get into. But um, you and I, Rich, we both had the complete versions and played the DLC. So that was pretty cool. One of the things in this playthrough I was really curious about was will this game hold up after so many years and will it still be fun to play? And for someone like me, I love open world sandbox games. I've played all the, th- the Grand Theft Auto's, I played Watch Dogs 1 and 2, I played Sleeping Dogs, I played The Saboteur, I played any open world crime shooter. I love them all. Uh, but Saints Row the Third is still one of the best ones I've ever played, if not the best one. I just love. The moment-to-moment gameplay of just being this beautiful character running around with Laura Bailey's voice with the cat backpack on, shooting a rocket launcher at a helicopter and all this crazy stuff you can get into. And then these these little moments you have, Rich, you were talking about just driving around and plowing down pedestrians. And one of the things I loved about that was the verbal like quippage when you were doing something like that, like... <laughs> when you're mowing down pedestrians and she goes, you can't fight for (laughs) it." It's like, (laughs) you just ran somebody over and said that. That's so hilarious. Just stuff like that, just randomly popping up in the gameplay. I just loved it. And, um, like I said, really liked professor Genki. I got a, uh, professor genki t-shirt that i tweeted out that says uh it's murder time in japanese kanji it looks so awesome i adore this game it's probably in my top 10 of all time it's so amazing and i'm still playing it too rich i haven't completed all the dlc and i want to see if i can get like a million dollars in the bank and just see what other kinds of weird things i can do in the game uh, so yeah
0: it's going to be the new Metal Gear 5 for <laughs> <laughs> yeah
1: <laughs> so if you can't tell this game gets my complete unabashed full recommendation just so great so I'll pass it along to our guest Kevin Buried on Mars take it away with your final thoughts
2: um, okay so I forgot that the, the number one song that I had on my tape deck so it would play first every single time was Funky Cold Medina by Tone <laughs> that's a good one I think the phone mechanic thing where you had to push the button to make the money go, I think developers didn't want people just leaving the game, allowing you to leave the game on and you just make money by just standing there and not doing anything. So I think they wanted to motivate you to do stuff in the game in order to earn money. So I think that's why that mechanic was there. With that said, what I really love about this game is that in AAA video game development, there seems to be this thing to make everything real. we got to make everything as real as possible. And Saints Row 3 is one of the games that just says, you know what, you're playing a video game. Let's just have fun. Let's have fun with the mechanics. Let's just make things as crazy as we can and even give you some quality of life improvements. You know, like in a Grand Theft Auto game, if you want to steal a car, you have to run up to the car, you have to open the door, you have to pull the person out, You gotta get, then you get into the car and you can drive away. In this game, there's like a button you can just press to automatically steal a car, you know, and the character just kind of flies in the air and jumps through the window and can steal the car. And, that, and that's just a fun mechanic. And it's just saying, you know what, you're playing a video game. Let's just have fun. I also like how the economy in this world, everything costs money when you start up the game and it's like, oh man, I got to buy this, I got to buy that, all the upgrades and all that. But once you start making money in the game, you come to appreciate that because you're earning this money. You own everything in the in town. You own all the, the shops and everything and you're earning tons of dough and you still have money to spend. You got money to spend on things, which I really appreciated. So yeah, this is a fun game. It's a blast just to play. It's a blast. Like if you just want to have fun, you know what I mean? Just have fun with a video game and not have to, you know, get caught up in the world and the environments and all that stuff. That could be fun too, but it's also fun just to let loose. And like you said, let your freak fly. So yeah, I highly recommend this game as well. And if you like this one, you got to play Saints Row 4 because Saints Row 4 is the best superhero game I have ever played. And that includes Spider-Man on the PlayStation 4.
1: That's amazing. I haven't played Spider-Man yet, but I have played Saints Row 4, and I wholeheartedly agree with that recommendation. And I will say, as much as I love the music in Saints Row 3, I think the licensed soundtrack of Saints Row 4 blows it out of the water without question.
2: Yeah, and fun fact for that. I, I don't know if I should say it. I don't know if it gives away too much, but there isn't a lot of car driving in Saints Row 4, and it's something that they thought of after the fact. You know, uh, they said, your character is not going to be driving around too much. And we spent all this money on the music. So that's why a lot of the cutscenes feature some of that music.
1: Yeah. And in four, you can listen to the music anywhere. You don't have to be in a vehicle. That's that's another great thing about that game. So actually, real quick, I want to ask Rich, are you interested in exploring the series further, either going into four or maybe going back into two? Uh, What are your thoughts on trying some of the other games?
0: I definitely like to go into four. I don't yeah. know if I want to go back from you know what you guys have said about it.
2: I think two still has its moments. Like it's the first step towards becoming its own thing and moving away from Grand Theft Auto. One of the side missions in two, uh, just is, is you just drive around in this. I guess it's like a sewer truck or a truck that carries uh, toxic waste from, from septic tanks and that. And your, your mission is to drive around and make the neighborhood as disgusting as possible. You spew out the raw sewage onto people's homes as you drive around to depreciate the value of their homes. So you, your scummy lawyer or real estate friend can go in and buy up the properties really cheap. So there's still a lot of fun in two. It's not as good as three or four, but it's still a good game, I think.
1: Awesome. All right, so before we get into our next month's couple of games, uh, I want to give Kevin a chance to give out his internet information. Kevin, where can people find you and your great work on the internet?
2: My great work? Well, I don't know if you'll be able to find any great work, but you can find (laughs) some work... Uh, just Buried on Mars, uh, on YouTube. Uh, I also co-host the podcast Retro Fandango with my buddy Richard, and I'm part of the Quick Save Club, which we do a PC Game of the Month, we're kind of a rip-off of this show, actually, uh, where we play a Game of the Month as well, but it's PC-orientated because a lot of, a lot of you guys, you're just, you're, you're sucked into your consoles. You, you don't want to, you got the blinders on when it comes to the PC, you're too afraid. Uh, so we're trying to expand people's um, minds and we've done that so far we've got a few people who have been console only that have actually expanded their horizons and tried out some pc games so kind of happy about that
1: nice well if you ever play the sims 4 hit me up and my wife and i will join you
2: oh yeah sims 4 yeah
1: all right rich what will our listeners be playing in october
0: well, we've already announced this on the last show, but in October, we will be playing Bloodstain: Curse of the Moon. This is a Castlevania-like game that was a stretch goal for the Kickstarter program. It's a lot of fun. If you love the old classic Nintendo look and the 8-bit era, please join us for that. It should be a spooky time in October.
1: Awesome. It's a great game. I already beat it once, and I'm looking forward to going back and going through it a couple more times. And then in November, we're going to play Hellblade Senua's Sacrifice, which is available on the PC, but I will be playing it on the Xbox One because it is part of Game Pass. Rich, I'm guessing you're going to play it on the PS4.
0: I am, already picked it up this week.
1: Nice. Kevin, any interest in joining us for that?
0: Yeah,
2: actually, I haven't played that game yet, so that's a good excuse to jump in.
1: Cool. Well, check us out on the forum. And now, Rich, I see in our notes, it looks like we're going to announce our December competition because there's a few games involved and we want to give the people a chance to gather these games. And Rich, I got to tell you, you came up with a really great idea for this one. It's On paper, it's my favorite one of these that we've done so far, and I can't wait. So why don't you take it away and let people know what we're doing?
0: (laughs) Well, hopefully we can make the execution part of it even better. (laughs) Uh, Well, we decided to go back to a more individual competition after the golf competition from last year. And uh, Sean and I, we've been talking about this for a few years now, but we love playing light gun games. My wife and I love co-oping those as well. And we thought, what better system to play light gun games than the Wii? Because it had a plethora of light gun games. Some of them really, really good. And so, as usual, in the month of December, we always pick three games. And we compete against each other for about a week's time on each game. And so that everyone will have time to pick up these games, we're going to announce them now. The games we selected are House of the Dead 3, which is on a compilation with House of the Dead 2. Ghost Squad and also dead space extraction. Now, we still got to hash out the rules for these. And so if anybody on the site wants to contact me and maybe talk about some of the best ways that we can run this competition, I'm all ears to hear about that. But uh, yeah, man, it should be a great month of gunplay action. I've already got my uh, 9mm pistols ready to rock and roll. So uh, yeah, it should be a good time, Sean.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. I actually have one of those pistol peripherals that I got kind of recently. Like I've had the Wii Zappers for a long time, but I actually got one that looks like a handgun, and I haven't had a chance to use it yet. And it's I can't awesome, wait. Awesome,
0: man. Yeah, my wife and I we have our own. <laughs> awesome. My wife's a huge House of the Dead fan, so uh, she's gonna be totally up for this as well.
4: Just like me
1: for another episode thank you as always for listening and a special thanks once again to buried on mars for joining us on the show in october we're continuing our tradition of playing a horror themed title to celebrate the season this year we're looking at bloodstained curse of the moon the standalone retro themed add-on game for bloodstained ritual of the night Be sure to log on to the forums at rfgeneration.com and we'll see you next time on the Playcast.
4: fresh meat
1: Basketball. Bow. bow. oh i didn't even
2: thank you guys for let me ha- let me be cuz you're there. an asshole
0: kevin <laughs> i'm a total jerk yeah. <laughs> Oh.